Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Time now for the Character and Smallman Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And welcome to Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN at 701. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle, as I was drinking my smoothie this morning, I heard thunder. I heard lightning. It was, man, it was nasty outside earlier. It really was. I, I guess I didn't hear lightning. I saw lightning. Heard thunder, saw lightning. Heard thunder, saw lightning. Correct. Yes. I had to think about that for a second. <laughs> heard thunder, saw lightning. And after the beautiful day we had yesterday, of course, this is what we're dealing with today. Of yeah. Course. So if you are headed to work today, and we hope that you are, just drive carefully and in the rain in St. Louis. We know that it can be a hassle, but just take it easy out there on the roads. You don't need to drive 88 to get to work this morning. Maybe cut it back a little bit to 72 as you're driving down the highway. And you know what? You have to slow down to text and drive anyway, so make it 72. I think the problem is people in St. Louis, it's not that they're speeding when it's raining. They're going incredibly slow. I never yeah. understand why in snow and rain we act like this is our first time. We live in the Midwest. Right. We're we used should, to it. We should know the drill. Yeah. I don't get it. And I think we're going to have this throughout the day. Let me check the uh, 101 ESPN Weather Center here. And uh, hold on, because Randy always provides you the, the top weather, right? Yes, always. And uh, traffic. Uh, traffic and weather together here on the uh, on the twos on 101 <laughs> ESPN. All right, kids, throughout the course of the day, let's give you the hourly forecast. It's going to rain. It's going to rain. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, just be careful out there. Oh, here we go. So you've got up until 10 a.m. until we get off the air, you're at 64, 65% for your thunder showers, thunder showers. Uh, And then you'll have a couple of hours where it gets below 50%. But you can expect that we're going to have thunderstorms throughout the course of the day. Sounds awesome. What a Monday, Monday Monday-ish Monday. Yeah, it is. Kind of Monday-y. The Cardinals have a day game, and hopefully they'll be able to get that baby in. They play the Pirates again. It's the conclusion of a four-game series. The Cardinals winning over the course of the weekend, 6-2 on Saturday, and losing 9-4 yesterday. The game against the Pirates today, 1-15 over at the ballpark. What are your thoughts early on of your St. Louis Cardinals? Number one, I take nothing out of it because (laughs) we should be, well, here. It's the first week of the season. Correct. Let's not overreact. Beyond that, Michelle, if you look at the calendar and look at the way a normal season plays out, this should be the first week of spring training yes. games. Yes, yes. They, they've... And, and they should be well into the first week of spring training games. But they've had essentially three days to get ready for their first spring training game and then played two weeks of spring training games. Usually you have two full weeks of spring training before you get to games. And so we should be in the first week of spring training games. That being said, I love the Cardinals' offense. And I'm not worried about pitching because normally I don't worry about pitching until Memorial Day anyway. That's when your starting pitching should kick in. So... Am I worried about the fact that they allowed nine runs yesterday to the Pirates? No, not at all. How about you? Same thing. I'm not freaking out, especially not in this first month of this season. I'm almost going to throw out any positive, extremely positive or extremely negative trends in this first month of the season because it's essentially 
an extended spring training. But especially yeah. when it comes to pitching, I'm not going to freak out. I'm not going to overreact. Even though I understand that a lot of people want to overreact about Steven Matz yesterday. Mm-hmm. Let's just not do it. Um, but I am very encouraged by the offense. And more than that, Randy, I love how so many members of the team, when asked about what's going to surprise fans this year or what they know to be true about their team, so many people are like, this offense is going to be really dangerous. We have a very, very strong offensive lineup. And Paul DeYoung, while not hitting 500 has gotten off to the start that you would hope that he would get off to. Obviously, the middle of the lineup you expect to be great, and they have been so far. So there's a lot of good things to take out of the the first three games for the Cardinals. And granted, it's against the Pirates. There's a long way to go, but I, I'm with you. I like what I've seen so far, and I like what I saw from the Blues over the weekend. How about your St. Louis Blues? After that horrific loss to Carolina here a couple of weeks ago. They've taken off, and as we sit here this morning, Michelle, they're in third place in the Western Conference. I mean, it happens so fast. Life comes fast when you're in the National Hockey League. It really does, and David Perron said that the answer was within the room, and he was right. All they needed to do was get on the same page and play their style of hockey, and Randy, dare I say they're getting hot at just the right time? I would say that that is the case. Mm -hmm. They have 10 games left. Right now, they're tied with Minnesota and in points with 94 and have played one more game and the Blues go to Boston and it doesn't bother me at all that the Blues are going to have a tough final 10 games that the schedule is going to be against primarily teams that are in the playoff hunt because you want to be ready for the playoffs and you aren't seeing the Islanders in the playoffs you aren't uh, well, they they handled Minnesota the other night, but you you aren't going to see some of the te- well, a lot of the teams that they they saw over that rough stretch during in the playoffs. So I I really like the way they're playing. They're playing their style of hockey again. Iron sharpens iron, right? It really does. They, they knocked off Minnesota in overtime, four to three, and Robert Thomas is just playing spectacular, the best hockey of his career, and then routed the Islanders on Saturday night, six to one. And we'll talk about that as we go along during the course of the show too. Robert Thomas has been such an unbelievable X factor for this team down the stretch. And if he can maintain that, Randy, I think he's going to be the star of the playoffs. It's really funny how coaches have always said in hockey, good defense leads to good offense. If you play a good 200-foot game, that turns you into a better player. And since the first of the year, Robert Thomas has played really well on the back end. As a matter of fact, they're very comfortable with him on the penalty kill now. And he wasn't always that guy. He was a guy that, as they they used to say in hockey, he was a floater, eh? <laughs> and he would hang around in the neutral zone while the other the rest of the team was getting back. He gets back now. He back checks. He's playing all three zones exceptionally well. And I'm with you. He's the sort of guy especially when he's playing with Tarasenko and Buchnevich, yes. he could be a, a playoff star. It seems like every big play, he's involved in it. Whether he's lighting the lamp or he's setting up his teammates, it feels like anytime you're listening to Curbs and Joey call the game and there's an important play in the game, Robert Thomas is somehow in the mix. And the Blues are back at it tomorrow. They'll play in Boston. And we're going to talk to David Perron later in the show at 845, so you'll want to stick around for that. At the Masters, Scotty Scheffler, as you've probably already heard, is the winner. He ran away with the victory yesterday. Rory McIlroy made a nice run, but Scheffler, even though he double bogeyed number eight, winds up winning by three easily if he just pars number 18 could have won by five and he's the number one player in the world and it's not even close right now he's playing better than anybody else he really is and you know he as you mentioned he won three of his previous five tournaments but i love how he was saying that the the morning 
uh, yesterday morning that he was crying like a baby, that he felt really overwhelmed about winning his first major. And he said he didn't think that he was ready for it. And you're playing better golf than anybody. You've won important tournaments before. But to think about winning the Masters, it's so funny for me to think about someone like that in that moment, feeling like they're not ready or that they're scared mm-hmm. or overwhelmed when you're you're clearly in the zone. And we haven't talked since Friday morning. When you think about, Michelle, how incredible it is that, and we're going to talk more about Tiger, but I just want to throw this perspective out there, that Jordan Spieth and Bryson DeChambeau and Brooks Kepka all missed the cut, mm-hmm. and Rory finishes in second. You've got all these guys that were going to be the guy after Tiger, and they're going by the wayside, and obviously DeChambeau has the injury, and Brooks has had the injury, but... When you uh, Jordan Spieth is a guy that was going to be the guy, and Tiger is still there playing on Sundays. When you don't see these guys on Saturdays, he's phenomenal. And even though he just finished, the, and this is a success, he just finished the tournament. That's pretty incredible when you think about the other guys that didn't. I think it's remarkable. I think that he should be so proud of himself. It should be one of the the bigger accomplishments of his career, which I know sounds crazy given everything that's on his resume. But to think of the trauma that his body sustained less than two years ago, what was it, 14, 15 months mm-hmm. ago, for him to even be able to physically complete this is absolutely remarkable. I can tell you this from firsthand experience. Watching him on the back nine yesterday, and I was watching he was walking around like a 59-year-old. <laughs> You're like, oh, I, I know that game. I get this. I, I feel that. Yeah. It, it was tough, though, to, to see him physically at times. You could tell that he was laboring, and it was tough to see him, but kudos to him for gutting through it. And I wonder how he feels this morning. Oh, man. You know, I'm sure he's yeah. got an entire team that's going to work on his body. He said he's, he's going to play at St. Andrews, and everything else is kind of TBD, but... Randy, I would in no way be shocked if he comes back and wins a major at some I, point. I won't either. Do you think he takes Advil? I mean, he, he's got he's dealing with a painkiller addiction. Sure. Is Advil something? Because I used to pop Advil when I have a wrist thing. Yeah. I popped Advil all the time, and I, I, it's different. You don't have head things with with Advil. I wonder if he takes Advil. Yeah, I don't know. I, I have no idea yeah. what he's taking, but I'm sure that he has. A very strict regimen that he needs to follow. And by the way, an amazing pain tolerance, too. Oh, it, that we've seen for charts. years and years and years. Last night, yesterday, was the end of the regular NBA season. And it is time for our Jason Tatum Minute here on 101 ESPN. Michelle, he goes 11 of 14 from the field. He goes 6 of 8 from three-point land, 3 of 3 from the line. And he had 31 points, 9 rebounds, 3 assists in just 26 minutes. And the Celtics blew out Memphis. This was a tough emotional tug for St. Louis, I'm sure, as Boston (laughs) won at 139-110. But you had Jason Tatum on one side and then John Morant with the Cardinals cap on the other side. What did you think of that? I mean, I was was awesome. I thought it was so cool. Um, It got a lot of love on social media. It just looked natural on Ja, that Cardinals hat. It did. Looks great. Yeah. I like seeing it. And I hope he wears it more. I do, too. You know the Grizzlies? And Fred Smith used to own the Grizzlies. He's the founder of FedEx. And he sold them. I don't even know their owner's name, but he's like the richest guy of all the owners in the NBA. Aside from Balmer in L.A., he's incredibly rich. So, Jaws in a good spot, and Memphis is in a good spot. Now, the Celtics locked up the number two seed, 
And we might have, Michelle, the Celtics and the Nets in the first round of the playoffs. Which seems unfair. It really does. I don't want either one of those teams to get bounced early, but no. it, it will be an incredible series. And by the way, Jason Tatum finishes the year averaging 26.9 points per game, 8 rebounds, 4.4 assists, all career highs and all because we added the Jason Tatum minute here on Carriker and Smallman. It's the bump, right? He didn't necessarily need it, but we're happy to provide it to him. With a guy like that, a guy that rides with St. Louis, we're happy to help you out, Jason. And good luck in the playoffs. We're off and running here on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Start one, bench one, cut one on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. Character and Smallman. Solid athlete, solid arm. Start one. Warm up. You're going in. Bench one. Mediocre. Hit the shower. Cut one. You're off the team. I do head. What? Start one, bench one, cut one on Character and Smallman. All right, it is Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. Michelle, we didn't mention at the top of the show that the Los Angeles Lakers, after missing the playoffs, fired their head coach, Frank Vogel. And they have no draft picks this year. Their one and their two have both been traded. They also have $6.2 million in cap space. And they have the highest paid player in the league next year. No, not Anthony Davis. No, not LeBron James. Russell Westbrook set to make about $47 million. So I'm going to give you three coaching jobs. Start one, bench one, cut one. The Pelicans, who are in the playoffs and Zion never plays. The Lakers and the San Antonio Spurs, who don't have a player that you could name. And and by the way, Vogel hasn't even been told yet that he's no, fired. No, Woj knows. Woj tweeted it, and then Vogel, I was watching this morning, and the presser was asked about it, and he said, I don't know bleep yeah. about it. So Woj scooped him before the Lakers could say anything, which, by the way, I will never understand how that happens because Woj is getting it from someone inside the building. Mm-hmm. Why would you tell Woj before you would tell the coach? It's amazing. It's incredible. Have some respect for, for this man and for what he's given to your organization. Mm-hmm. Did it work out? No, but at least have the decency to fire him in person before you text Woj. You'd think so, yeah. It's just so ridiculous. But Woj is obviously very good at his job, and he realized that people love to talk. People love to talk. So, um, despite having Zion, I'm cutting the Pelicans job, because I just think you're never going to be able to have success there, and... It seems like players, despite it being in New Orleans, really don't want to be there or play there. And Michelle, I was watching them last night, and here they are, a playoff team, and nobody goes to the games. No. It's it's a problem. It's in a great... When you look at the Saints and how much the people of New Orleans are dedicated Mm -hmm. to the Saints, and I know it's football, I know it's Louisiana, but people show up for their own there. You'd think that it would be at least a little bit more of a known franchise. Mm -hmm. The Pelicans... Other than the fact that Zion is there, it feels like a team that we would completely forget about or never care about. So I'm going to cut the Pelicans. I'm going to bench the Spurs. And even though you mention all of the obstacles, I'm still going to choose to coach the Lakers. I am going to start the Spurs because their front office has a history of being really good. And Popovich can't last forever. And a huge part of their success, maybe the reason for their success is Pops, right, over the years. Yes. But because they seem to have a rational thinking front office and ownership, I'm going to start the Spurs. I'm going to cut, uh, I'm going to bench the Pelicans because, again, I think their ownership 
probably has a better idea of what it takes to win in 2022-2023 than the Lakers. And the Lakers seem clueless. They're still a mom-and-pop operation. This will be their sixth coach in 11 years after firing Frank Vogel. And with the the issues that I brought up right off the bat, I don't think they're going to win anytime soon. I think you're there for two years and you get fired. It's a vicious cycle right now. It really is. Randy Starr won bench one, cut one. Joe Torre, Whitey Herzog, Tony LaRussa. Okay, this is as managers. Yes. Okay. I believe that Whitey did a better job of getting more out of less and developing players than any Cardinal manager I've ever seen. I'm going to start Whitey. I'm going to bench Tony because the numbers are there. I mean, you go to the World Series in 04, 06, 11, you win a couple of World Series, you win all the time. And it's not fair because he wasn't given the wherewithal to win. I'm going to have to cut Joe. But I will say this. If you say as a media person, start one, bench one, cut one, in terms of just the pleasure of being around them on a regular basis, I would start Joe Torrey, mm-hmm. I would bench Whitey, and I would cut Tony. Now, what about their skills as a manager, not just their tenure in St. Louis, just overall as a manager? I would still start Whitey because of his skills as a manager. He should have been to three more World Series with the Royals, and he got he got fired unfairly by the Royals. I would... Uh, I would bench Joe. Interesting. Joe, yeah. Well, wow. think about this. Joe, not, you know, people talk about all the money they spent. Joe Torrey developed Bernie Williams and Jeter and Posada and Soriano mm-hmm. and uh, Andy Pettit and Mariano Rivera. That was a team that was primarily built through the system. And then you, it, the, the people that they won with, I mean, you've got Tino Martinez, who had failed in Seattle. You've got Scott Brocious. You've got Daryl Strawberry on the last legs. You've got uh, uh, David Cohn at the end of his career, Dwight Gooden at the end of his career, Chad Curtis, Joe Girardi. It, it wasn't like that was the, the dynasty team was loaded with a bunch of expen- expensive free agents. Joe did a really good job. And Tony was a guy. Not that he didn't develop players in Oakland, but he was a guy that won primarily with veteran players that you plug and play, and he got them to play. That's the best thing that that Tony did. The two things that Tony did really well, hire Dave Duncan and get players to play hard for six months. Yeah, play a hard nine. Yep, and of those three, I think... uh, they're all tied for first. And, they but it really was a different are. era. It, it, it's a, getting high price players is harder once you got into the big, big, big money. It, it was harder to do than it was in Whitey's era. After we spoke to Joe Torre on opening day, I was thinking about it, and you could make the best argument for any of those three guys. You really could. Yeah, you, you can't go wrong ranking them one, two, three in any order. No. And hey, here we are in St. Louis. Mike's probably not going to make a Hall of Fame. I don't know about Mike Schilt, but we had a stretch from 1980 with Whitey Herzog until 2011 with uh, the end of the Tony Larusa. So 80 to 90, 90 to 2000. We had 31 consecutive years of Hall of Fame managers. Unreal. <laughs> Pretty good. And Mike Matheny was in a position to win a World Series. Yeah. Right. Great point. All right. What do we have on the text line? 65780, Matt Rocchio. Matthew is uh, back for another week. He's on a roll here, isn't he? Matthew Rocchio for being a Caracan Walmart producer. He's What, but just by showing up? Well, being here, showing up, and <laughs> yes. then being great at the job, too. Impressive.
Matthew, how, how was your weekend? It was a fantastic weekend. Thank you very much, Randy. I'm, I'm clearing, clearing bars over here. I have to leave my feet soon. Uh, you know what? It's game day four of the season. Let's talk about some real important baseball stuff. Let's do Five, it. seven, three, start one, bench one, cut one. Loaded nachos, hot dogs, pretzels with cheese. Okay. <laughs> These are the real topics we need to be talking about game yep. day four. It's the first week of the season, Randy. Okay, yeah. this is easy. What do you do? How are you going to saddle up with your with your helmet nachos for the rest of the year? I got to know. You have to start the nachos. Yep. I mean, it's not even a discussion. You're starting the nachos. If it's the pulled pork nachos, why are we even discussing? No it? jalapenos, thank you. Uh, but banana peppers, load them up. No olives either. I never understand why people put black oh, olives. Black olives are the, the best. Olives. They're a must. Really? Pass. Yep. Hard what's pass. what's um, the reason for the olives? Unless, what do they provide? I know. I know what onions provide. I know what jalapenos provide. I know what cheese provides. What does an onion get? What does the olive get? The olive provides you a Mediterranean. Uh, it, it's a tangy, sharp flavor. Uh, unless it's ice cream. The you ask me warm. to get a tuna sandwich, put black olives on it. You get oh. me a pizza, put black olives on it. I oh. love black olives. Yeah. Black olives on nachos, all of that stuff. Yeah. Mm. So, yes. I, okay, Michelle, I'm sorry I interrupted. No, Go you're ahead. all good. So I'm going to start the nachos. I'm benching the hot dog, ketchup down one side, mustard down another. Don't at me. And I'm <laughs> yes. cutting the pretzel because if a pretzel and cheese is done right, you could make the argument that it's number one. But more times than not, when you get the pretzel and the cheese at the ballpark, the pretzel is a little too hard or it's not warm enough. The cheese is just a little too congealed. The The situation is never exactly what you want it to be. Michelle, I'm in the exact same order as you. I am starting the nachos. I am benching the hot dogs and I'm cutting the pretzels. And if I spend the rest of my days not having cheese with a pretzel, I'll be I'll totally fine with that. Really? Yeah. I, you I just I, love a dry just, pretzel? Uh, yeah, dry pretzel with, with salt. And by the way, like, ballpark pretzels are different. If I go to, like, the uh, outlet mall, Wetzel's pretzels are outstanding. I like, Never had one. I like more of a, a hot, soft pretzel rather than a hard pretzel. You know what I love is a good Gus's pretzel. Uh, Gus's pretzels are superb. That honey mustard dip, oh baby. St. Louis Institution, but see the, again, those are, are hard, unless you go right. I'm saying if you go there you and you get go. it and you get that honey yeah. mustard dip, oh yeah. I went to a, a mall a few weekends ago and I swear there were more people in line at the one pretzel shop, Auntie Anne's. Yes, mm-hmm. than there were like left in the entire mall shopping at any one time. Auntie there was like 40 good. people stacked in line at Auntie M's and maybe mm-hmm. 25 people total throughout the rest of the mall like shopping. Wow. It was unbelievable. That's, the that's percentage they had. Yeah. And the, by the way, the cinnamon cinnamon coated ones at Wetzel's. Mm. Great. Wow. We're sticking with the important topics here. Six one eight Sobo Co. Easter candy, jelly beans, Reese's eggs, or Cadbury eggs. <laughs> I know Randy's answer here because he's got one of these three sitting over there on the counter. Oh, you do. I see it. Okay. Fire away. And, and I know that Randy. I, correct me if I'm wrong, but don't you believe that the Reese's egg is the perfect Reese's ratio? Isn't that your take? He's correct. Yeah, I know you. He's correct. You love you a Reese's egg. Now, Michelle, if I can get the one pound Reese's egg. Say that again, Randy. The one pound Reese's egg. Yes. It's not healthy. It's probably not great for you, especially when you eat a whole one in a day. Weren't they being sold for like 500 bucks on yeah, eBay? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, crazy. Okay. So you're starting the Reese's? Yeah, I am. Your final two? Uh, jelly beans. What was the third? The Cadbury egg. I'm going to go Cadbury egg and then jelly beans third. Okay, you're crazy. Cadbury eggs are... 
Shout out to all my Cadbury people out there. They're trash. Whoa! They're absolutely terrible. The, the filling on the inside, ugh. No, it's, it's great. Get it and out of my face. It, it makes you zoom. The, that, that filling, mm. if you want to zoom for like 10 seconds, get that Cadbury cream in the egg. Yeah, it's great. I do not need a Cadbury egg ever. It's not a real egg interior. It's, it's cream. I know, but it's... <laughs> It's it's like fondant, but not. I mean, what it, what even is that? It's just like what what's in there? I don't even know. Whatever you manufactured to insert in the chocolate egg, unnecessary. Cadbury. Not only am I cutting it, I never want to see it in an Easter basket ever. Get it out of my face. Get it out of my life. Cadbury eggs. I love the commercials with the bunny. Mm-hmm. So cute, topical. No, thank you. Chocolate bunny is laying those Cadbury eggs. By That's the way. right, and you know that is a rare <laughs> animal. Um, I'm going to shockingly. Bench the Reese's egg. <gasps> yeah, I know. Wow. I know. I'm stunned. I'm starting the jelly beans, and I'm going to wow. be hyper-specific about this. Okay. So, you know, when you go to Target, and they have those things placed at the checkout, you know, hey, mm-hmm. look at me. It's Easter time. Buy this candy. Hey, it's Christmas. Buy, buy this, whatever. I'm a sucker. Yeah. I always am like, you know what? Throw it in the, throw it in the basket. Mm-hmm. Let's go. The other day, I'm checking out at Target, and what do I see sitting on the shelf? But Starburst jelly beans, guys. And not only just Starburst jelly beans, they were fave reds. All the fave oh, red flavor Starburst jelly now. beans. This was on a Friday. I had girls night that night. I brought them in the car. The entire squad demolished the whole bag in one night. They were so good. So strictly because of Starburst jelly beans, I'm going jelly beans. So here's what's going to happen then is you will trade me the Reese's for the jelly beans. Your Reese's for my jelly beans. We would be great trade partners on draft day, also known as Easter. All right. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Randy. And there, thank you very much for your text, 65780, to start one, bench one, cut one. Coming up, three things we loved about the weekend on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. was an incredibly busy and fun sports weekend, and Michelle and I are going to give three things we loved about the weekend. Number three. Oh, I was waiting for like some dramatic bet or something. Can we get a bet under this? Yeah, like, we'll, we'll do that. Let's go. We'll get let's... Some, if, as you're talking, okay. Matthew will find some great music. Don't you think we need music. something here? Yeah. Just a little oomph? Yeah. Okay, Randy. Mm-hmm. So my number three from the weekend is actually not sports related. It kind of is because... Uh, one of these, well, actually, both of these people were connected to sports in one way or the other. But I saw this news. I thought of you because your favorite sport, Randy, is watching celebrities get engaged or break up. And it is official. Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck, uh, J-Lo, Benifer, back together. They're engaged. No way. They are engaged. J-Lo announced it. She actually has a new ring. Randy, you remember the first time they got engaged? She had the pink diamond. Now she has the green stone. It's a green stone. Set on a silver band. She says green is her lucky color. You may remember a certain green dress that a lot of our audience probably enjoyed her wearing back in the day to the Grammys, but officially engaged, Randy. And I hope that six is her lucky number because that's the number of times she's been engaged now. Well, you know, six is a serious number. It is. And by the way, three of the five have resulted in marriages. 
course, three of those have resulted in divorce. Randy, but I'm just saying. We're a but show congratulations that? to the two kids who used to go to Red Sox games together, Benifer. Yeah, we know that Ben Affleck loves him some Boston sports, and we know that J-Lo has dated a, a former Yankee. This is a great thing, and, and I'm so excited for both of those kids, those crazy kids. Crazy kids. Your turn. You're up. All right, Michelle, my number three, Jordan Bennington, with his first win between the pipes for the Blues since late February. He turned aside 30 of 31 shots in a 6-1 route of the Islanders on Saturday night. The Islanders have been red hot. The Blues had lost Binner's last five starts, so getting back in the win column in impressive fashion is a big deal for him. Is he going to take over the number one spot? No, it's Ville Husso's net, but... Great to see Bennington, just for his mental state, performing at a high level, and he did on Saturday night. I couldn't agree more. I think that does wonders for his confidence, and the the team is clicking right now. I was thinking about this last night. The fact that the Blues are winning right now is a great deodorant for what's going on with Jordan Bennington because mm-hmm. if the team was still struggling to find their identity or they are, let's say they had peaked earlier in the season and they were on the downside of that, we would be talking about this Jordan Bennington situation all day, every day. Especially and, since we have them for five more years. Exactly. It would, it would. I think that the fact that the team is winning, fans are stressed out about it, but it's kind of taken a back seat to the excitement of what we're seeing from the team right now. Number two. Michelle, I'm going to go with Paul Goldschmidt, my preseason Cardinal MVP. And over the weekend... He was great in the season so far. Three games, 14 plate appearances, three hits, five walks, a 571 on base. You want a guy to set the table for Tyler O'Neill and Nolan Arenado? Goldie is doing it. He is playing Goldie ball at the plate, and obviously his defense is always stellar. So I love the fact uh, that Goldie was so good over the weekend, and I expect him to be great all season long. Which leads me to my number two, Randy, which is that Nolan Arenado has come out of the gates on fire. You know, Paul Goldschmidt usually takes a little bit to warm up, they say, as it gets hotter outside Goldie gets hotter mm-hmm. so I love that the offense especially uh, two of our three r- real power guys on the Cardinals have come out hot across the gate Arnado batting 500 he's leading the team in almost every offensive category two home runs seven RBI six hits and he told us what was that two weeks ago now that even though he had a good season last year it was disappointing for him and that he expects far more from himself from a, de- a defensive which is hilarious <laughs> but offensive standpoint as well and he's come out of the gate very strong All right, time for number one. Michelle Zidino Chara of the New York Islanders is 6'9 and 250 pounds. Jordan Cairo of the Blues is 5'11, 175. And this happened on Saturday night. That's Cairo shooting it in. And he gets drilled down by Chara. And then Cairo, I don't think he can get up. He ended up up stepping on this stick. Now remember, this guy's been out of the lineup. A little dinged up or sick, whether it's upper body or what, having a hard time getting to his feet. And Zanano Chara, long after he passed the puck, Kyra did. Chara just wipes him out. Kyra ends up standing on the stick on accident, falls back down. Ray Borelli is going to come out and take a look at him. Yeah, he took the penalty and deservedly so. That wasn't the part I loved. The part I loved is our guy, David Perron, all six foot, 200 pounds of David Perron. And as it comes to the near side, Perron's going to get called for an interference penalty as he drilled down Chara. to Dano Chara. Crowd's going to applaud David Perron, and I yeah, would too. absolutely. I would too. 
Zdeno Chara has nine inches in height, 50 pounds on in weight on David Perron. And who's there to protect his teammate that got hit? It's David Perron who goes and lays the hit on Zdeno Chara and knocks him down. It's old school hockey. It's great leadership. It's one of the reasons that the Blues love and we love David Perron. And I loved seeing that. There's not a lot of six foot, 200 pound guys that are going to go after Zdeno Chara. And our guy David Perron did. If you were going to put money on one of the guys on the team to do it, you'd put it on Jenner or Perron, right? No question about it. Those would be the two guys because they are leaders and that's what leaders do. You don't mess with our guy. No. You're going to come in and do this? Okay, even if I have to sacrifice my body, I'm going to let you know that that's not okay. So David Perron is the thing I loved most about the weekend. Randy, even though he didn't win, just seeing Tiger Woods back on the course at Augusta, just back competing and playing golf was the best thing coming out of the weekend for me. And I think that he performed under his own standards, but the fact that he completed it, he's proud of that as well. Even a month ago, I didn't know if I, if I could pull this off. So, uh, uh, I, you know, I, I think it was a positive and, uh, you know, I've, I've got some work to do and i um, looking forward to it. He had that surgically repaired right leg after the car crash only 17 months ago. And to think about that he could walk the course at Augusta National. We talked to Jay Delsing on Friday about how physically demanding that is. 72 holes, him doing that on that leg is is remarkable. My favorite thing from the weekend. I've never had leg surgery. And I would have difficulty walking 18 holes for four consecutive days, even if I had a caddy. So what he did with a leg that was broken and will never be the same, broken 14 months ago and will never be the same, it is extraordinary. And every time we watch this guy play, we have to enjoy it. We have to savor it because he's not going to, heck, we almost didn't have him for this. So... The fact that he did what he did, and we know he's not going to be around forever, is something that I loved, too. It's a great part of the American sports landscape that Tiger is playing. We're doing a lot of that in sports right now, savoring the great ones while we have them, whether it's Tiger just competing at the Masters. We keep saying, savor this. The fact that Mm -hmm. we're seeing him even make this comeback is remarkable. Savor it. We're saying that with Albert Pujols and Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright. Savor this. Tom Brady coming back. Mm -hmm. This is likely one of the greatest you'll ever see, if not the greatest you'll ever see. Savor this season while you have it. We're kind of in an age right now in sports where we really need to take stock of the great ones because there's a lot of young talent coming up, but will they have the longevity of some of these guys? Will they be able to overcome everything that some of these guys have? I don't know. And you know what's amazing? Somebody driving down the road right now that's 22 years old, that was born in 2000, Tiger Woods won the Tiger Slam in 2002-2001. Tom Brady was drafted in 2000. Albert Pujols came up in 2001. Those things that you're talking about, Yachty coming up in, in 2004, these are people that have spent their entire sports viewing lives watching these people. Yes. So I, I would believe that there is a greater likelihood that they can savor it because they're going to have some something life-changing happen in, in the next couple of years, right? Yeah. Because their entire life experience in watching sports is going to change when those guys aren't around anymore. Couldn't agree more. Pretty amazing. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And those are three things we loved about the weekend on 101 ESPN. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. We've got Take It or Leave It on a Monday with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Take it 
or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. Six five seven eight zero is our Air Comfort Service text line. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, Matthew Rocchio, good to have you with us. And Michelle, let's get things started with take it or leave it. And uh, let's start with the Cardinals. The Cardinals have one more game with the Pirates today, and then two against the Royals before they head out on the road to Milwaukee. Take it or leave it. The Cardinals head out to Milwaukee after Wednesday's game with only one loss on their resume. Mm, that's a good one. Have to beat uh, Milwaukee to, or Pittsburgh today and then the Royals twice. Yes. I will leave it. I think maybe there's one more they drop in there. Darn it. I, I could easily take it. They Here's the thing. They should, Randy. They should be mm-hmm. in that position. But given the fact that I still don't know about some of the starting pitching, I'm going to, and after what we saw yesterday with Mats, knowing that we have the shortened spring training, a lot of these guys are still finding themselves, I'm going to leave it. Yeah, we've got Hudson, Hicks, and then Wayno again mm-hmm. before the Cardinals head out on the road. Kansas City lost their first game yesterday, but their pitching is really suspect. I think the Cardinals do win three in a row before getting to Milwaukee. They're suspect? Suspect starting. And, yeah, It's when you think about, well, I told you guys off the air, they have three first rounders from 2018 that are all up in the majors and none of them are starting. And they got rocked by the Guardians yesterday. I don't think that that... Yeah, wasn't that a football score? Yeah, it was. I, I don't believe that the pitching for Kansas City is going to stand up. They lost 17-3 to yesterday. The, the Browns I over the Chiefs. I thought it was a 17 or in there. Yikes. Yeah. 17 runs on 22 hits. Mm. First win in Guardians history. Congratulations. Shout out to the Guardians. Yeah. Way to go, guys. <laughs> First win. There you go. Um, well, speaking of baseball, Randy, did you see that Rob Manfred is trying to dethaw the ice that's clearly there between mm-hmm. the players and Major League Baseball and the owners. So Rob Manfred in a gesture of goodwill, an olive branch if you will, gave every Major League Baseball player a set of Bose headphones with a note on opening day. The note said, please accept this gift as a small gesture of my appreciation for the hard work that comes with being a major leaguer and your respect for our incredible fans. Thank you for everything you do in a game that has such a rich history and a deep meaning to our fans in the U.S. and around the world. Wish you the best of luck for a successful season. Take it or leave it. That actually probably makes players angrier than it does dethaw things because they're like, really, headphones? You think you can buy us back? This is all that you've got for us? We all have our own set of Beats by Dre. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know he, his heart was probably in the right place, but I could just see that angering players more than it does to thaw things out. Yeah, I'll, I'll take that. They don't look at... Rob Manfred as a guy who can make a symbolic, notable, nice gesture. They're going to look at him as evil, even if he sends them each a new car. That's just the the way it is. They're making too much money for them to care about. Ironically, the people that he works for, the owners, are giving them so much money that they don't care about Bose headphones. No, of course not. They probably already have some. Maybe they already have been gifted some for free some Mm -hmm. other way. It just... The gesture, nice. I just don't know if it landed. Take it or leave it. 
MLB got the Bose headphones free. Of course they did. My members not paying for them. There's no way. And by the way, there was, this was probably part of the deal with Bose. We will mm-hmm. leak it to the media yeah. that you gave them to every player, and then we're going to talk about it and look at all the engagement and impressions you'll get. Take it or leave it. The gift should have been like a 45-degree wedge. Yeah, I'll take that. And then that, that way they all, could, they all could have been practicing their swing whenever they wanted. <laughs> yep, that would have been fun. All right, Matthew, what do we have on the text line? Take it or leave it from the 636. Hudson is going to throw five innings tonight with two or less runs given up. Take it. I'll take it. Yeah. See, we're all over the positivity here. We'll keep it, it rolling here. The good positive bandwagon 314. Take it or leave it. Villy Huso will receive Vesna consideration. I'm going to leave that, and I would love to see him get Vizina consideration, but he just hasn't played enough or been dominant enough to be in that conversation. I'm with you. I agree. St. Louis Vezina, though. He wins for the St. Louis Vezina. He's the winner. Randy, do you have that uh, TLR uh, drop still ready? I think uh, I, I have, have you potted off. Okay. Uh, 618, take it or leave it. Mats and Miles struggles. We'll have the Cardinals looking for pitching help sooner rather than later. It's the first week of the season. Yeah, I'm going to leave that. Let's just relax, everyone. I know I know, we like to overreact, but let's just relax. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. From this You'll side. have a glass of scotch and chill out a little bit. Mm-hmm. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. Just relax. Michelle, I would feel differently if this were an NFL season and the team had started off just two and one? <laughs> Maybe not. I'd be thrilled with our NFL experience if we were say, two and one. I what are you talking about? We would be so pumped. <laughs> yeah, but if you keep winning two out of three, I think you'll uh, you'll do all right. I, yeah. My guess is two out of three for every three games you play is probably going to win you the division. Just keep just on peeling off those series wins, right? Yep. Well, here's how you win the World Series from the 636. We won the World Series in 06 and 11 with David Eckstein and David Freeze. They were the World Series MVPs. Take it or leave it. They need to get a David on the Cardinals. I'll take it. Oh, I never put two That's and two a together. That's deep, deep cut right there. I like that. Where's our David? Who Who is the David that we need? Do we trade for David Robertson? I just think Dickerson needs to change his name to Davidson, and we'll just go from there. I don't know if that's going to be something that we can do. We really don't have a spot for Big Poppy, where you could bring David Ortiz out of retirement. What about just the Royal Series? I I don't ever want to see Big Poppy again. I still have PTSD. I don't blame you. Yep. I do too. Um, even if he's wearing the birds in the bat, I just don't want to see him back in baseball. Well, let me see what we got for you, Michelle. I'll see if I can find one for you. Okay? Find us a David out there, Randy. Okay, so we've got David Price. No, I mean that would work. He wants to be here. He's always wanted to be a Cardinal. Well, uh, except for when he could have been. That's true, and he took the $30 million. Yeah, so I mean, I don't think you want to be here that badly. Uh, let's see. Uh, hmm. Okay, I'm thinking you're probably going to have to wind up with David Robertson. Paging all Davids. It, yeah. We didn't say that it had to be a David of a certain caliber. No one would have ever expected David Eckstein or David Freeze to be the World Series MVPs, yet they were. wonder if we have a David in the system somewhere. David Devil Magic? There's got to be a David. We could bring back uh, David Peralta. Done. He's starting, though. I think David Robertson's your only guy right now. Okay. Somebody's saying David Fletcher, the second baseman from L.A.? I think that's uh, Scott Fletcher. Scott Fletcher? Maybe not. Let me check. Someone from the three. Oh, no, David Fletcher. That's right. David Fletcher. Okay, there you go. Says, why doesn't David Perron switch sports? (laughs) I like that. We did speak to him on Friday, and he didn't really play baseball growing up. He said he played a little Sandlot action, um, but 
I don't know. We do have a good David in town, though. But just wearing the wrong uniform. Yeah. Good thought, though. From the 636, the Blues, although fun lately, aren't, are not ready for a deep playoff run. And I'm glad Armstrong didn't sell the future with teams like Florida set to dominate in the playoffs. I'm going to leave it slash take it. I'm going to leave it. I think that they will be ready for a deep playoff run. But I am going to take that. I'm glad Army didn't sell off the future. Uh, Michelle, I am not R-E-L-A-X. going to. Oh, we're relaxing again. X. We're going to be okay. I hit the wrong one, though. Sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows. Everything that's wonderful is what I feel when we're together. We're winning the Stanley Cup. Why wouldn't you think we're winning the Stanley Cup? I don't know. Randy, sometimes you say thing, things in the direct opposite happens, so... I'm not going to... I'm going to wait for the playoffs, Michelle. Okay, okay, okay. Um... Yeah, but I'm feeling good about the Blues. How are you not feeling good about the Blues right now? It's unbelievable. 636, take it or leave. The Avs continue the curse of teams who win the President's Trophy, but not the Stanley Cup. I'm going to totally take that. Definitely taking it. And by the way, kids, and uh, let me just double check this for you. I believe that there's a very good chance that the Colorado Avalanche will play the Vegas Golden Knights in the first round of the playoffs. Wouldn't that be something? If the Knights, who at the moment are sitting at 84 points, they're three behind Nicheville. By the way, they could finish third in their division as well. But uh, Vegas theoretically could wind up as the number eight seed in the playoffs. They're only two behind Dallas for the eighth seed. Vegas with a healthy Robin Leonard against Colorado in the first round of the playoffs will be so much fun. It will. And let those two teams beat up on each other. Right. Yeah. And let Petro handle the the business of beating Colorado. He's done it before. So let's do it. He's also, I guess, lost to the Avalanche, but still. (laughs) We're not looking at that. How about a little early season positivity for the Cardinals? We went for Take it or leave it. You're impressed with the young so far. Take Take it. it. Yeah. And I'm going to be for 162 games. That is great positivity. He's going to have an 800 OPS. He'll hit his 30 homers. It's going to be great. Full year? Yep. Okay. I mean, that 800 OPS, I, I I wouldn't be shocked if he has like two months of it. But if he does it for the whole year, it completely changes the, just the complexion of the of the, of the the Blues. Um, of the Cardinals, you mean? Uh, yeah, of the Cardinals. I don't know what I'm saying there. My so apologies. right now we're looking at an 833 OPS. His career best is 857 in his rookie year. So, uh, yeah, he'll have an 800 OPS. Sunshine lollipops. All right, that's what we got today. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Coming up, Tiger returned to the Masters and finished 47th. Will you still be compelled if he's playing but not playing particularly well? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Carriker and Smallman's Fresh Take. Brought to you by the Schnooks Rewards app. Check out Good For You, a free wellness program available in the app today. in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler, Tiger Woods. Finished with a pair of 78s over the weekend. He finished 23 shots off the lead as Scotty Scheffler won his first Masters. Tiger finished in 47th this weekend at Augusta. He didn't win. He didn't even come close to winning. But he did accomplish something after that 
unbelievably terrible car accident 14 months ago. He was able to return to the tour. He was able to return to a major. He was able to make the cut and play four rounds. Even a month ago, I didn't know if I, if I could pull this off. So, uh, uh, you know, I, I think it was a positive, and uh, you know, I've, I've got some work to do, and um, looking forward to it. Now, Michelle, my question is: I watched him down the stretch yesterday, and I, I got up. My family watched Tiger play yesterday, mm-hmm. but I'm wondering if he is not playing to win. If he still becomes a, a television draw, he's he might play in the PGA next month. He said he's going to play in the Open Championship in July. But if he's making the cut and firing 78s, are the majority of people still going to tune in just to see Tiger Woods, or will he just become another guy? I don't think Tiger Woods could ever be just a guy. Think about when he was going through everything he was going through in his personal life and was trying to come back and win a major. Any golf tournament that he competed in, we were zeroed in on Tiger, wondering if he could ever win a major again. And then he obviously did. Um, at the Masters in 2019, but this is going to have that same energy. Just him competing, just him making the cut, just him being there is going to have us all talking about his chances to win because we're never going to count him out. No matter how many tournaments he plays in from now until the end of his career, we're going to talk about Tiger Woods winning because he's Tiger Woods. That's the key. We're going to tune in on Saturdays if he makes the cut. And even if he's six, seven, eight shots off the pace, because we've seen him do it before, we're going to look at Tiger Woods and say, man, he has a chance to win. He's Tiger Woods. You aren't going to do that, I don't think, with Bryson DeChambeau. I don't think you're going to do that necessarily with Kepka, where if they're five shots off the lead on Saturday, where you're going to tune in to watch them play. But it's happened for 25 years now. Tiger has been golf for 25 years. When Tiger plays, mm-hmm. golf is relevant. When Tiger doesn't play, golf pretty much becomes irrelevant, and the TV ratings bear that out. I'm with you. I personally will still watch him, and I have to believe that the casual fan, if you're flipping around on a Saturday or a Sunday and it's raining in St. Louis or Dubuque or Chicago or L.A., and you watch Tiger walking up the eighth fairway, you're going to tune in and you're going to stop the remote and watch him take his next shot. And that draws you in. In a galaxy filled with stars and golf, Tiger Woods is the moon. He is he is the thing which everything else orbits around, whether he's the best or not. He is the biggest and brightest star that golf has probably ever seen. And Randy will be looking at things like we did this weekend when he's shooting one under 71 on Thursday. And we'll be having conversations like, well, look what he did on day one. And then that fatigue set in and we started to see that erosion and his endurance. But once he starts to build it up, that's the conversations that we'll be having. It doesn't really matter where he finishes. He's going to give us a little something that gets us excited and the conversation is going to continue around him. And I believe that if he is in the hunt, and I'm going to say five or six shots on Saturday is in the hunt. The reason that people will tune in is because they don't want to miss it. Yes. He might finish with a 78 on Saturday, but you're going to think, well, what if he gets hot here? I don't want to miss out on this. I've, I've got the FOMO. I've got fear of missing out. I have to believe that most casual fans, and the, the hardcores are going to be watching anyway, but the casual fans who know who Tiger Woods is, they don't want to miss him doing something spectacular. Because all of the other physical things that he's endured in his career, the back and, you know, the knees, we all thought maybe that would be too much for him Mm -hmm. to overcome, and it wasn't. So why wouldn't what he's dealing with now be something that he can't overcome and he can't eventually 
be strong enough or have the endurance enough to win because so many parts of his game are still there. They've ne- they've mm-hmm. never gone away. It's it's a lot of the things that he's going to have to build up to physically that's going to get him there. The other thing that I look at, Michelle, is that for a long time, not a long time, a couple of years, when he wasn't playing his best, I was thinking, okay, all these big hitters have passed him by and he's not going to be able to play with these guys. Well, now you see... Kepka, DeChambeau, Spieth, all missing the cut. Rory is really the only one of those young guns that's come along since Tiger, and even he had an incredible lull, who has been good enough to finish in the top part of majors on a consistent basis. You don't see those other guys at the top of the leaderboard. That that group of players always seems to change. There's churn there. But the one guy you always seem to see playing and making the cut is Tiger Woods. And I have no reason to believe that Bryson DeChambeau is going to get healthy again, or that Brooks Kepka is going to get healthy again and do what Tiger did and get healthy enough to play with the young guys. Mm-hmm. I believe Tiger is going to be there. I really do think that he'll get healthy enough so that he can play on a Sunday. He can be in the hunt on a back nine. Not that DeChambeau and Kepka never will again, but to me, it's telling that Kepka, DeChambeau, Spieth didn't make the cut at the Masters and Tiger did. And think about the young stars that you just mentioned in golf that we are intrigued by and that we discuss on shows like this, right? Think about Tiger wore a different pair of shoes and it was headline <laughs> news. We were talking about foot joys and we can't believe that he's not wearing Nike and how, how is mm-hmm. the shoe going to impact his game? We never talk about the intricacies of other players the way that we do Tiger. I mean, even what shoes he wears is is more interesting to us than yeah, what a lot of other players do out on the course. That is so telling that we think about, oh, he's not wearing Nike, that we do look at his shoes. We care about his clubs. We care about the fact that he switched to a Bridgestone golf ball rather than a Titleist. All those little things that if it were an ordinary golfer, it was Matthew Wolf. We would never look at his shoes, never. and there would never be photos of them. Randy, if he steps onto the course on Sunday with a with a red shirt and black pants, it will be the it, it will get more hits on Twitter, like interactions on Twitter, than anything else in the sporting world that day. Just that one post. I mean, like that's how. I mean, he's monumental. He's 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 enormous. Everything moves with him. And I, I think that we also need to note. I just brought up the name of Matthew Wolf, and there's people like Danny Willett. Bubba Watson, who's won a couple of majors, mm-hmm. they they kind of filter in and out. And the one constant now with Phil apparently out of the mix, the one constant is Tiger Woods. And it was great to watch him play this weekend. Bringing up Phil is an interesting point, too, because Phil and Tiger were always part of the conversation. They were the influencers, if you will. There's been a lot of guys who have also been in that conversation. But if we're talking about longevity in the modern game, it's, it's Tiger, it's Phil. And with Phil essentially going zero dark 30 LeBron style where you know Mm -hmm. golfers are saying we can't even get in touch with him he's gone completely dark we don't even know what he's going to do or when he's going to come back that just is a little bit more of an already bright spotlight that's on Tiger he's incredible and it's it, it was great to see and we'll see it more by the way I brought up Danny Willett just as an example here your majors winners in 2016 four years or four years ago no six years ago Sorry, bad math. Uh, Danny Willett, Henrik Stenson, Jimmy Walker. You had Sergio. You've had Justin Thomas, who's still in the hunt. Patrick Reed It floats in and out of contention. We don't see much of Francisco Molinari anymore. These are guys that have won majors recently. Gary Woodland was around this weekend. But 
not on not a, a real factor. Shane Lowry was a factor yesterday. It, it's remarkable to look at those guys that have been winners during Tiger's career that aren't winners anymore. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that's today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN. Coming up, the Blues head out on the road. Only 10 games left in the season, and we're going to talk to Chris Kerber about this upcoming road trip and more next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Time now for Curbside with the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber. Brought to you by Sliman Brothers. Offering everyday low prices, expert advice, and free delivery. The St. Louis Blues are going to head east. They've got a game at Boston tomorrow and then at Buffalo on Thursday. And Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, joins us as he does every Monday on 101 ESPN. Kerbs, it was fun to see you over the weekend and good to work together on Friday. Had a great time. And, man, what a fascinating gentleman Lutz Fahnenstiel is. I, you know what? I, I was fascinated before doing research on him and learning about him, hearing him talk. Um, I'm even more fascinated now. I mean, such... You, you got done talking to him for an hour and a half straight, and you, you just felt good. He's one of those guys that just just exudes positivity. And speaking of that, Randy, real quick before we get into the hockey side, we should give a huge shout-out. How about St. Louis and Tim Reed? Just played his 250th game for Fulham. So that's a, a heck of a milestone. They lost yesterday, but they're just a couple wins away from uh, winning promotion back up there. So uh, keeping with the theme that we when talking with Lutz, uh, congratulations to Tim as well on uh, – quite a milestone over in England. Definitely. Absolutely, Curbs. Good shout-out for Tim Ream there. Well, Curbs, we have the Boston Bruins on deck tomorrow and the Blues pregame starting at 5 ga- uh, five p.m. here on 101 ESPN. That's going to be a big matchup, and I think regardless of the, of how the Bruins are doing this season, that's one that I think a lot of Blues fans are always going to circle when you have that Stanley Cup final rematch. Yeah, it is. Uh, it, it's still fresh. I know Boston lost yesterday to Washington by a score of 4-2. to two. So they're going to be a little fired up. And they're kind of like the Blues. They're a little bit of a Jekyll and Hyde. From one night to the next, you're just not exactly sure what type of game you know, you're know you going to get. So they slipped down to that first wild card spot. And albeit, they have 95 points. But guys, when you look at the East versus the West, I think the East numbers are inflated a little bit. You know, you take, for example, and I'll tell you what, I think the competition in the bottom half of the East is, is so much worse than the competition in the West. For example, like teams, uh, teams nine, ten, and eleven in the East. They're, I, I think, they're like one game under or one game over five hundred uh, combined. But they're like a hundred, uh, minus a hundred and ten. And in the and in the West, those same teams are like plus twenty in terms of games over five hundred. And then you know their goal differential is like a plus fifteen. It really is something different. So it ought to be a, a really good game. They struggle to find some consistency in that the Boston Bruins have. Um, but this one kind of feels like it could be an old-fashioned grudge match. Uh, and I can't wait to see it. Curbs, one other thing about the Bruins. If the playoffs started today as the number 1 wild card, they would play Carolina in the first round. Even if they jump Tampa, though, and they're in the division, they play Toronto in the first round. The matchups in the East, and by the way, if you look at it, anybody, even the second wild card, Washington, could wind up in the finals. That should be an amazing playoff in the Eastern Conference to determine who wins the the East. And right from the first round, if you have 
Florida and Washington. That's going to be an unbelievable series. Toronto against Boston. Toronto against Tampa Bay. Carolina uh, against Washington or Boston. The Rangers and the Penguins. It doesn't matter. The first round is going to be great in the East. There are going to be four extremely disappointed teams in the Eastern Conference. Now, I realize we'll say the same thing in terms of the West, but if, for example, if Colorado were to play Dallas right now, which is the way it, it is as of today, nobody's going to be surprised if Colorado won, and you'd actually be pretty shocked if, if Dallas won that game. I don't think you're going to be all that shocked if Washington ended up beating Carolina. I mean, there is to me, you might have statistically a favorite, but every single one of those series right now in the East, you could consider a bit of a coin flip. Absolutely. It's fascinating. Curbs, one trend that we had seen from the Blues this year is that they tended to have to come back in games with the opposition scoring first. And in their past five wins, the Blues have bucked that trend. They scored first in five straight. Do you think that that's been a difference in some of the play that we're seeing from the Blues? Michelle, I think it's been huge. Uh, and, and another cool little nugget to to what you just brought up there, in four of the last five games where the Blues have scored first, Robert Thomas has either scored it or assisted on the goal. Wow! But I, I think I think it's a huge thing because the vibe of getting that first goal and feeling like you've gotten to your game, the, the vibe of feeling some early success in the game, or even if it's zero zero, you know, after the first period, like it was against the Coyotes, but then you get that first goal of the second period, it makes a huge difference. And for a team whose psyche. You know, when a goal would go in, you might see the heads drop a little bit. Getting that first goal over a series of games builds it back up. But the one thing, the one thing this team knows it's been able to do all season long is score goals. But when you have to chase it too much, that's a problem. They know they can come back, but they were chasing far too many far too early. So I don't think it's any surprise that they've gone 6-0-1 in their last seven and have scored first in five uh, straight. That's that's a huge reason for it. Curbs, if the playoffs started today, the Blues would be at Minnesota. The Blues 25-9-4 at home, 17-11-6 on the road. And Billy Huso is way better at home than on the road. But it seems like the Blues are going to have to win some road games down the stretch here, seven out of ten left on the road, if they're going to get home ice to start the playoffs. Yeah, and you know what, Randy? It's not necessarily an easy schedule from that standpoint. So they'll leave for Boston today. And then you've got Buffalo. And look, normally, you know, a little while back, you might have just kind of checked off that Buffalo one and said, well, that should be a win, right? And you're going to play your fourth line a lot. That Buffalo team has been playing some really good hockey and they're feeling a groove right now. So then you come home for the quick one against Minnesota, road game in Nashville. Then you're going out to San Jose and Anaheim and and a four-game road trip that goes to San Jose, Arizona, back to California for Anaheim, then to Colorado. However the Blues finish off, whether they finish off in in second or third, and right now it's looking like that's a pretty legit way of looking at it if they take care of business. But whether they get home ice advantage or not, and that could be huge, is going to come down to road play. They've been better on the road, but they're going to have to be even, you know, more, you know, and I think it was, it was the Minnesota coach after the you know last time we played. So we just our, our attention to detail. We've got to put more attention to detail. Well, that's the same thing the Blues are going to have to do. Attention to detail. Keep it simple on the road. But where they finish and how they finish is going to be dictated by road play now for the Blues. Uh, strong performance from Jordan Bennington on Saturday. Curbs getting a couple of really big saves early. I thought was great for his confidence. But just the the game in general, being able to get that one versus the Islanders. You hope that that's something that he can build on moving forward. There so. If you go down the elevators to the to the lower level, the suite elevators, and 
that's the kind of sometimes the route I take when I go into the media room and to, to meet with the head coach. And Craig Berube's availability was in the evening instead of the morning skate before that game. Uh, one of our longtime uh, guest uh, security guest guys there is Hank, and we always see we always predict the scores. Now Hank gets three two. Everybody knows when you everybody that walks by Hank gives him a score. Hank always gets three to two, and uh, you know he's he's sort of like taking you know the seven out of the craps game, if you will, if you pyramid that thing out. So uh, so I looked at him and I said uh, I said I said Hank, it's it's three nothing or it's four nothing. Either way, I'm calling a shutout in this one. I just. <laughs> I just he just had a feeling for Bennington. Now he didn't get the shutout, but he would have if that puck doesn't deflect off of Colton Pareko. He was he was really good. You're glad he felt it. And then I think moving forward, because I still think there's another three, if not four, starts in his future here. If he regains even more of that confidence, and he had a little bit of swagger to him in that game. Uh, holy smokes, is that going to be good? Because I just think with the way the schedule's set up and every other day. Um, I think at some point in time he's going to be needed, uh, even in the postseason. Hey, Curbs, it's interesting how the outlook of the defense, I I guess the, not the outlook, but just the shape of the defense has changed over the year. When the the season started, we all thought that Mikola would ascend. We thought Perunovic would be a big part of it, and Jake Wallman was a part of it. It really is interesting how different that defense looks from an experience standpoint now. Randy, this one's this one's kind of fascinating. So you're right, uh, and and Mikula did ascend. I think Mikula he has did. had a pretty good season. He's going to continue to develop, right? But you know, they never really had full faith in Jake Wallman for whatever reason, and and Perunovic's the injuries uh, have just been an issue for him, and and of course the latest one to his wrist was a big one that's that's kept him out a good, another good chunk of the season. So they go out and they get Nick Letty. When Tory Krug returns, and I don't know if he's going to be able to return this trip or not, we'll find out. But when Tory Krug returns, and you make the assumption that you know that that it's going to be Callie Rosen sitting out, so your six defensemen will be Pareko and Scandella, Falk and uh, Falk and Krug, and Letty and Bortuzzo, and mix them up however you want, however you want to do the pairings. The crazy thing about that is Colton Pareko has the fewest amount of years experience in the league of all of them. <laughs> That's amazing. And now now Robert Bortuzzo has got more years, but just because he's been in and out, out of the lineup over his career, I think Colt Pareko has got nine nine more games played than Robert Bortuzzo. But if you think about that, the least amount of experience is like 480 games for any one of those six defensemen. So, And Joe, Joe Vitale touched on this a lot. As the Blues head towards the playoffs – you kind of get the feeling that the veteran nature and the veteran players have kind of taken this team back over with the style of play. And and I'm looking forward to seeing what that group does defensively in the playoffs because not only do they have experience and not only do you have Bortuzzo, Pareko, Letty that have won Stanley Cups, you've got Scandella with experience of going to the second round several times. You know, you've, you've, got, you've got Falk that's gone to a conference final. I mean, you You've got plenty of experience in that group, and I think it's going to be huge down the stretch. Curbs, one last thing. Can you imagine being in Colorado's shoes, working so hard to win the President's Trophy? They've got 100 and how many points do they have? 110 right now. They could go through the whole season and get to the playoffs and play a Vegas team that gets Stone and Riley Smith back there on LTIR, arrested and ready Robin Leonard. The the Vegas Golden Knights have won five of six. You might see Colorado against a full, healthy Vegas in the first round. Wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, wouldn't that just be first off? None of us, uh, 
that none of us are going to feel uh, feel sorry for Mad Stan out there in Colorado, are we? <laughs> no. You know, so so I think I, I think that'd be some great cronky karma coming on that one if that were to happen. Uh, you know, but and you know the hard part about feeling that way about that guy is, is the coaches out there like Jared Bednar and uh, and Ray Bennett and Nolan Pratt. Like they're terrific, terrific guys. They're actually the kind of people you really want to root for. And I absolutely, I know everybody's focused on McDavid. I love watching Nathan McKinnon play. And right now, Nathan McKinnon is a better all-around player than Connor McDavid in, in my book. But you're right. Now, what's happened though, Randy, is if the Dallas Stars could fend off Vegas, that's one thing. But LA yesterday had a three-nothing lead on Minnesota, end up losing that game six to three, and the Los Angeles Kings, who have lost three in a row now have just a two-point lead on Las Vegas, and Vegas has a game in hand. So after having an amazing season for 73 or 70 games, the L.A. Kings, if Vegas stays on a roll, could find themselves missing the playoffs, and Vegas could end up slipping in. Now, if you ask me, I hope like all hell that Vegas misses. You know, I, I really do. I, I, I don't want to see all of a sudden those guys start playing on the first day of the first of the playoffs when they've been hitting on LTIR this year. So I hope that strategy comes back to bite them, and I think it'd be good for the league if it does. I just want to see the theater of that first-round matchup, and especially, <laughs> and one of the reasons that I would hate it, by the way, is because of the way they've attacked the cap and the fact that they would be able to bring a Stone and a Smith back off of LTIR like Kucherov a couple of years ago with, with right. Tampa. But the theater of that particular first-round matchup would be fantastic. Oh, it would be. It would absolutely be epic without a shred of doubt. And you know what? The league had tried to address, they, the general managers got together to address that long-term IR thing, and they decided it's really not that big of an issue. What really bit everybody was when, two years ago, when, when, they, when they did it with Kucherov, um, and it was the fact that Kucherov bragged about it. It was the fact that yeah. he made T-shirts about it. So he comes off of IR, you know, and, and all of a sudden you could find the Vegas Golden Knights playing in the playoffs when you've had a salary cap of $81 million all season long. They could play in the playoffs with a... With a, a, a salary total of their players totaling over a hundred million right and and i there's something wrong with that and it does need to be addressed but um yeah kucherov really didn't do anybody any favors by bragging about it and letting everybody basically know he was healthy he could have come off sooner and they didn't do it and uh that's put a real spotlight on las vegas here if they do come out and all of a sudden stone is ready to go on day one curbs have a great trip enjoy the food in boston and buffalo and uh, we will talk to you soon All right. Have an awesome week, you too. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, we've got the fight. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Carriker and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe Listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of Morning Drive. Please welcome Randy Carricker. It's time for the fight. The Monday edition of the fight on Carricker and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. On Friday, I believe... Nick beat Randy. Yes, Friday. I had to get my days correct because at the end of the week, it was a hot mess for your girl. We were at the ballpark on Thursday, back on Friday. So it was Friday. Nick beat Randy, which means he is back today to challenge his title, try to get another victory, and get that much closer to the Hall of Fame. Nick, how was your weekend? 
Oh, weekend was great. Got to you know, watch some good sporting events happening. Got some golf in, so uh, no complaint. Nice. Sounds like a great weekend. Yeah. Well, Nick, are you ready to take on Randy again today? All right, let's do it. All right, I love it. I love the energy. Good luck. Question number one. Before Albert Pujols' first MVP win in 2005, who was the last Cardinal to win the National League MVP award? Was it Ozzie Smith, Keith Hernandez, or Willie McGee? Uh, Willie McGee. Other than Tony LaRussa, who is the only Cardinals manager to win multiple World Series titles for the Cardinals? Is it Whitey Herzog, Red Shandienst, or Billy Southworth? Let's go with Red. Nick, who was the last pitcher to throw a no-hitter in both the American League and the National League? Was it Randy Johnson, Josh Beckett, or Roy Halladay? Actually... Can you stand one more time for me? Sure. Who was the last pitcher to throw a no-hitter in both the American League and the National League? Was it Randy Johnson, Josh Beckett, or Roy Halladay? Roy Halladay. And on this day in 1921, KDKA broadcasted the first ever sporting event over the radio. What sport was it? Olympic track and field, boxing, or baseball? Boxing. Okay, we're checking Nick's score. Yep, confirmed. Waving in Randy, who's snacking in the hall. Randy, I see you. What are you snacking on? What are you snacking there? Uh, Oh, we got some gourmet garlic herb and olive oil almonds. I know Randy's a big almond guy. These seem a little elevated, hence the gourmet title. How are they? I was going to say bougie. They're delicious. They smell really good. I'm glad you like the smell because a lot of people wouldn't like that smell. They'd be offended if I brought... It's not like I'm eating a tuna sandwich or something in here. Randy, I'm Italian. I love garlic. I I should get a garlic candle. That smells heavenly, Randy. And olive oil. There's few things on earth that smell better than onions and garlic cooking on the stove. Oh, man, it's great. Get out of here with that. Uh, Randy, please say good morning to Nick. You remember him. He beat you on Friday. Nick, welcome back. Great to have you with us. How was your weekend? Hey, uh, Randy, it was great. Got some golf in, watched some sports, so it's, uh, can't complain. How was yours? Everything was great. Thank you. I did the same thing. I watched some sports. Got, I didn't get any golf in, but I'm glad you did. Awesome. But somebody did. Nick, how'd you hit him? Um, next question, please. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's still early. We're all trying to get back in <laughs> the groove. Right. Don't you worry about That's it. Right. All right, Mr. Carricker, are you ready? I'm ready. All right, question number one. Before Albert Pujols' first MVP award in 2005, who was the last Cardinal to win the National League MVP award? Well, it should have been Jack Clark in 1987 because Andre Dawson won it, even though the Cubs finished in last place. But it was Willie McGee in 1985 when he hit 353 with 56 stolen bases and 82 RBIs. Other than Tony La Russa, who is the only Cardinals manager to win multiple World Series title as the Cardinals manager? Multiple World Series titles. Well, Red Shandienst won in, uh, he didn't win in 64, he won in 67. So I think we might have to go to Billy Southworth. I'll go with him. Randy, who was the last pitcher to throw a no-hitter in both the American League and the National League? The last one to do that. Um, I know there's somebody more recent than Nolan Ryan. But I'll do the lifeline because I can't remember right off the top of my head. Randy Johnson, Josh Beckett, Roy Halladay. Roy Halladay. And on this day in 1921, KDKA broadcasted the first ever sporting event over the radio. What sport was it? 
on this date? On this day in 1921. Shout out radio. 1921. Right. I'm guessing the Penguins weren't playing that day. I'm guessing the Steelers weren't playing that day. And I'm guessing the, uh, was it the Pits? What was the fish? Uh, the fish that saved Pittsburgh. What was the uh, the name of the team? 65780. I'm guessing it was a baseball game. I'm guessing it wasn't soccer in 1921. I'm going to guess that KDKA, the longtime home and voice of the Pirates. Pulls it out as the Pirate Station. Yeah. Uh, I'm guessing that uh, it it was a baseball game. Nick, Randy, gentlemen, we have a tie. All right. (laughs) Each of you got two correct, Mm. which means we're headed to the tiebreaker round. This is how this is going to work, Nick. I'm going to read the question. As I'm reading it, Randy's going to write his answer down on a sheet of paper. You're going to get first crack at it. We'll give you about 10 seconds to give us your answer. Then Randy will share with us what he has written down on said piece of paper. You you got it? You good? good. You got it? Something to write with? Okay, great. He's ready to go. First to get it correct or closest to the pin wins. Nick, are you ready? Let's try it. Randy, you ready? Ready. All right, guys, here you go. Here's your tiebreaker question. How many wins do the Cardinals have in their 140 opening days? How many wins do the Cardinals have in their 140 opening day games? Uh, I'll go uh, 93. Nick says 93. Randy says. I'm going to go 90. Showcase showdown style. Who is closer to the pin? Was it Nick? Does he secure victory number two? Which means if he comes back tomorrow, there's a chance at the Hall of Fame on the line. Or did Randy stop him in his tracks and start the week off with a win? Matt, ring the bell. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. Brought to you by High and Dry Foundation Repair, home of the non-commission based sales force and hassle-free warranty. Just win, baby. I'm sorry, Nick. Randy was closest to the pin. He took you down today. Uh, that's all right. I am 1-0-1, oh, so uh, <laughs> it's not that. <laughs> that's right. Well, congratulations on your victory on Friday. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Have an awesome week. All right, guys. Take care. See you. Bye, See Nick. you later. Willie McGee was the last Cardinal to win the National League MVP award before Albert Pujols did so in 2005. Other than Tony La Russa, Billy Southworth is the only manager to win multiple World Series titles with the Cardinals. Do you know the years? Uh, 42, 44, and 46? 42 and 44. Okay. There you go. Good job, Randy. The last pitcher to throw a no-hitter in both the American League and National League is Randy Johnson. The big unit. The big unit did it on June 2nd, 1990 with Seattle and May 18th, 2004 with Arizona. So we aren't counting playoffs here, clearly. No, it was regular season. Okay. Because Halliday threw one in the playoffs for Philadelphia. He threw a, yeah, he, he, well, he threw two for Philadelphia. Yeah. And I guess that was... Well, this, that was an, that was an ML, that was an MLB official trivia question. Good. <laughs> and on this day in 1921, KDKA broadcasted the first ever sporting event over radio. It was a boxing match. Oh man, I wasn't even thinking boxing. It was boxing. Yes, I know that was a little tricky. It was. Now that took us to our tiebreaker round. How many wins do the Cardinals have in their 140 opening day games? Nick guessed 93. Randy guessed 90. The correct answer. Is 76. 76 opening day victories for your St. Louis Cardinals. I would have thought that we would have been more dominant on opening day. So would I. I'm surprised, Randy, you didn't guess 140. 
140 and O. That's right. <laughs> All right. Thanks for joining us on The Fight. David Perron is next on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. He gets the job done on the ice every night. Perron, he tucked it in like you put the corner of his seat underneath your mattress in the morning. Blues forward David Perron, and he joins Carriker and Smallman right now. Perron, he scores! On 101 ESPN, driven by Pure Performance, the only stop for all your aftermarket vehicle needs. Good to have you with us on Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. The Blues in Boston tomorrow and then Buffalo Thursday before coming home to take on Minnesota again. That game will be on Saturday afternoon at Enterprise Center. And we go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and David Perron joins us as he does every week. Good morning, David. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Good morning. Hey, there, there are a ton of reasons to love David Perron, but I thought the other night when you uh, got into it a little bit with Zdeno Chara, who's got you by nine inches and 50 pounds, I, I love that, <laughs> and I, I love the fact that you do that and you stand up for your teammates. Is that all it is? 50 pounds? It feels like a lot more for sure. <laughs> uh, but, uh, no, I mean, obviously, uh, I think none of us on the bench were really happy with uh, – what happened earlier on, on Cairo is one of our best players. He's, he's a younger guy, uh, just kind of coming back to the lineup, uh, going through some things. And then uh, obviously when you, when that happens, you, you feel like you want to do something. And we all know no one on our team uh, will fight Tara. So I just felt like he was a, in a position that I could kind of make him feel the pain a little bit and uh, kind of respond for our team. And I'm glad that, uh, obviously, we killed the penalty after Benner had a heck of a save uh, on that one as well. And then it seemed like we we were rolling after that. So I was glad to see the response of the team as well. Well, speaking of Char, David, you have the Boston Bruins, his former team, on deck next on Tuesday. And I think a lot of fans here in St. Louis, it's still a little fresh, their hatred for the Boston Bruins because of the Stanley Cup final, even though the Blues came out victorious in that one. Do you still feel that when you see a team like the Bruins on the schedule, you go back to 2019, or is it just another team, another game? Uh, yeah, well, it's uh, a little bit of both. Obviously, for us, it would be special. The moment you step in that rank and, and kind of see uh, the, the role locker room where we won, uh, we've heard some rumors that maybe they changed some stuff in there. They renovated it. So I don't know if it's the after effect of the champagne on the floor and all that stuff. But uh, we'll definitely uh, be excited to, to, to jump in that ring. Obviously, we had a special moment there. Um, also for a guy, let's say like Tory Krug, I don't know if he's, uh, going to be able to play or not, but I think those guys are coming on the road, getting closer and closer and, uh, it's going to be nice for him to, to head back to the city. Uh, so we're always excited for little moments like this, uh, as we kind of, uh, have 10 games left in the season, we'll, we'll get excited for every little thing, uh, get us uh, some energy so that we're ready for playoffs. David, when you go into a game against Brad Marchand, do you think beforehand about dealing with him and about uh, his feistiness and how to avoid him getting under your skin? Uh, not me personally. I know him a little bit. I know his other side, and he's he's actually a pretty decent guy. Uh, I think he's doing a great job of, of what he's doing on the ice, not only his play, but he's also a guy that when he feels his team needs energy, he does something like that, and I think he's a guy – if there's a night that he's not into it at all, uh, as far as that stuff, uh, you just let him be. You don't 
you don't wake him up. Uh, that just uh, feeds uh, into his game, and he gets better and better after that. So for me, I don't worry about him. I, I, I just kind of let him play. Uh, but obviously, if he uh, if he does something, I'm sure there'll be plenty of candidates that will uh, remind him what he he needs to be reminded, and uh, that's what our team's about right now. One other guy on that team that everybody in St. Louis should love because he's like the quintessential blue is Patrice Bergeron. Keith Kachuk. When I asked him a few years ago, I said, "What is Robert Thomas going to become?" He said, "He's going to become Patrice Bergeron." What do you think of that comp? Well, I mean, obviously, I'm, I've been very impressed with his career. Uh, I've known him from uh, almost the start of his career as far as uh, Bergeron. He's only improved every single year. I think he's got unbelievable chemistry with uh, his line mates, and that's helping him as well. It's helping his teammates. And um, I think it's very similar with Tom. We see how uh, his line has been uh, taken off basically the last uh, uh, several games. And, and for Tom himself, I think he's, he's on a nice streak of like 10, 12 games right now where He's producing every night, feeling really confident about himself, and, and we see him shoot the puck better than, than he's ever shot it. So um, it's a great uh, comp for sure, and uh, we're going to see where Tomer gets with his game. But I've, I've, I'm impressed, like everything. Like his face-off percentage is way up, uh, his intensity, everything. He, he's taken a, a huge step in many aspects of his game, and I think that also comes with more ice time, more responsibility. He plays PK this year, and he didn't uh, in other years. So um, obviously we're excited for him. David, a couple of weeks ago, we talked to you about one of the trends that your team wanted to reverse, and that was the opposition getting on the score sheet first. You said that it was something you were very cognizant of, and you had talked about it before games that you wanted to get on. Uh, you wanted to score first, and you guys have scored first in five straight. And I don't know if that's um, a result of this, but you've won five in a row as well. So, what's the difference there when you guys score first? How does that change the vibe of the game when you don't have to dig out of that hole? Yeah, that that matters a lot for sure. I think it it gets uh, the team in the right mentality. You're not chasing the game, and it's been a little bit of a problem at times for us when when we start chasing games, we kind of come out of our system too much. Uh, we kind of open the <laughs> the valves too much. Everyone wants to score goals, and that's not the the greatest recipe to to keep games tight. Or uh, as we head towards the playoffs, let's say you play a team like Minnesota, we have plenty of firepower to score goals, and we just got to stay within ourselves, stay within our structure. And we're, we're going to get our opportunities. So, uh, But, yeah, definitely scoring the first goal is, is big for for any team. And uh, when you're going to go through the playoffs, games are going to be 2-1, 3-2 a lot of times. And it's very important for a momentum swing to, to score those first goals. Uh, switching gears a little bit, David, when we spoke to you last Thursday, we were talking about opening day for the Cardinals. You mentioned that you were thinking about taking your son down there. Were you able to go to opening day? And if so, what was that experience like? Yeah, well, uh, I, I picked up my daughter uh, after school and my son, uh, so we we were late a little bit, and uh, we went for probably for 45 minutes an hour. I wish I would have stayed longer. Just I could kind of feel like they were starting to get sick, and you're around other people, other kids, and I kind of felt bad, so I, I didn't end up staying as long as I wanted, but uh, the next day uh, we saw Albert Pujols uh, come to our locker room, uh, so that was a cool moment for, for myself and for uh, most of my teammates that were able to see him. Um, I mean, obviously for him, it's probably going to be his last year. He's gonna, he's kind of in, in a mode of just enjoying everything right now. He's, he's super grateful for the opportunity that, that he's going to get this year uh, to play for the Cards. And I'm sure he's got a similar feeling than, than I had the first time I came back and the second time uh, how special this town is and the standing ovation that he got. At the Cards game and at the, the Blues game the next day was uh, truly special. The Blues put that photo of you speaking to Albert up on social media. Is that one that you'll get printed out and framed and put somewhere? 
Yeah, yeah, I think for sure one day. I think it's uh, it's pretty cool to have him come back, obviously. All the memories of him uh, hitting those home runs, uh, especially when he had three to one, the one year, I think, in 2011 when they won. Um, I always rem- remember those moments. Uh, I was just a young guy back then, but uh, definitely that picture is a special one for me. I, I actually didn't even notice. I was so focused on the conversation <laughs> I had with him. I didn't even uh, notice uh, Scotty Rovac uh, taking that picture, so... Um, I'm glad he took it. That's great. Hey, David, one other thing, and I wanted to ask this on Thursday and we didn't have time, but you've told us several times about one of your favorite teammates being Ryan Getzlaff, who announced last week that he's going to retire. If you can tell our listeners the impact that Getzlaff had on your career and your time with Anaheim. Yeah, well, he was everything to me. I I didn't play with him that long, but I was in a low point in my career. I'd move around a few teams. Uh, I went to Pittsburgh and... um, didn't uh, didn't turn out the way I wanted. Obviously, playing with Crosby, Malkin, you expect uh, great things for me. I had, I had great opportunities there. Just didn't click chemistry-wise. Then I move on to to Getzlaf uh, in Anaheim. I get traded there. I'm at a low point in my career, and it just kind of revived everything. Everything that now I want to do at the, how I play, how I play with O'Reilly, the way we can impact games. He's kind of taught me that without saying too many words, even. Uh, so I'm I'm really grateful for playing with him. He's a great guy. Uh, what a great career he had. And even last night, I think he got into it. Uh, he's still playing really physical, uh, pretty emotional out there on the ice, even though it's his last few games. And we're really fortunate that uh, I think we're playing the last. His last game will be against us in Anaheim. So that'll be a special one for himself and, and for myself to be able to be a, a part of that. Yeah, and I wanted you to be able to say that because we can just tell your appreciation for him and his impact, not on, only on you, but on the sport. He's He's been great. David, have a great trip, and we'll see you back here on Saturday against the Minnesota Wild. Sounds good. Thanks a lot. Talk to you next week. I appreciate it. Thanks, David. David Perron with us on 101 ESPN. Coming up next as Michelle and Randy roll on, we had a chance to talk to Lutz Fonensteel on Friday night after the Blues game at OB Clark's, and there's a lot going on with St. Louis City SC. Michelle is well aware of that, but we're going to tell you some of the things that Lutz had to say to us next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's Big Thing with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Seiden Stricker Noby John Deere. Find them online at snpartners.com. Nine oh four in St. Louis, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle Smallman has been intimately involved with the growth of St. Louis City SC ever since we were awarded the franchise. And here we are, Michelle, less than a year away from playing. What's most exciting to you about what we'll be dealing with, what we'll be involved with a year from right now? Gosh, what isn't exciting about what we're going to be experiencing with St. Louis City SC, Randy? I think that that's kind of the beauty of this is that every single development that they've had, every milestone that they've reached has been just as exciting as the next one. And the group at St. Louis City SC thinks about how to serve the St. Louisan and the St. Louis sports fan so 
much. Every little detail and every intricacy that has gone into this, whether it's um, getting Lutz Fahnensteel and Bradley Carnell, th- those selections to the way that the seat is designed. We have the first seat that's in Centene Stadium. All of that stuff is thought about and curated perfectly so that the St. Louis soccer fan, the St. Louis sports fan is going to have a great experience. And I think that that's what I'm looking forward to most is just seeing the way that the game day experience takes shape when we actually are able to see the team take the pitch. Because I think they're going to put together a great team that's going to have a winning product on the field. But it's going to be so much more than that. From the time you wake up in the morning until the time you get home after the game, there's going to be something for everybody for at a St. Louis City SC game. We had a chance to talk to Lutz Fahnensteel, the director of sport for St. Louis City SC. Friday night, Curbs and I were uh, had the pleasure of talking to Lutz over at OB Clark's after the Blues game. And one thing that he's talked about that's intrigued me mm-hmm. is the style of play that he wants to employ. And I said, can you kind of describe that to us? And here's the way he described it. I don't want to I don't want to look at St. Louis City SC like we're running it in a German way. No, that's not me. That's not what we want to do. You know, I actually believe I want to run it in a very Midwestern way. And I see the way the Cardinals doing it. I see the way the Blues doing it. And that's the perfect way you need to give the people what they feel comfortable with. And bringing here foreigners who are the big time Charlies who think they're bigger than the club, that won't work here. You need to have modest, hardworking, down-to-earth people who are getting out there and work and run till their socks on fire. And if you win... Everybody's happy, and if you lose and you left everything on that pitch on that day, nobody will be in any bad kind of mood. Everybody will look forward for the next one. That is what we want to be within our community. Wow. Talk about a guy who has a great read on us. No, not about it. <laughs> Talk about a guy who gets us. And isn't that what we want in our athletes and in the people that are involved in our sports organizations here in St. Louis to understand us? When we talk to David Perron every week and he's talking about why he loves St. Louis, he gets us. He under, right. he understands the relationship between the St. Louis community and our athletes. And so for Lutz Fahnensteel to be relatively new on the scene here, I know he's he's been here for a little bit now but to understand that we want a team that's going to grind it out and that it's about effort and that even the winning is the standard here that as long as the team gives it their all that's really all we're going to be asking for in our athletes and I love that even though he he has had great success on the international level that he's coming in saying how do I develop a product and how do I curate a team that is going to be interesting and exciting and entertaining for the St. Louis community Mm -hmm. what do they expect out of us and how do I deliver it to them because he's right I think most people with a resume like his would come in and say I know how to win that's all that matters we're going to do this my way so that I can have success but in addition to just having that success, he wants to do it in a way that's comfortable for St. Louis, and that is amazing. And it's the St. Louis style. I got a lot of responses on social media when people heard that that said he fits what St. Louis has always been. And what he said was, I want another team to come in and see the arch and be afraid of the fact that they're going to play us, that we're going to we're going to run, we're going to be physical, and like he said, we're going to run until our socks are on fire. I just got goosebumps when you said that, that they're going to come in and see the arch and be afraid. Yep, it's so, going to be very cool. Run until the socks are on fire. That is an incredible line. I mean, if you you just, you package that up with, with some, some early promotions and just roll with that. The yeah. one thing I will say, he did talk about the philosophy they have. He needs to watch 
talking about pillars in St. Louis. That can be a little <laughs> that, that can be a little bit tricky yeah, sometimes. I'm, I'm not going there. Pillars are a triggering word for St. Louis sports <laughs> yeah. fans. Yeah. I'll say that. He talked about having a three pillar philosophy, and I'm like, oh, just like four. Say, call it like a triangle philosophy. Or just like yeah, three ca- columns. Yeah, yeah, maybe three columns. Just don't use the word pillar. Faith, character, team, first core values. <laughs> I think we still need one pillar for our show. Do we? we not? Yeah, we've only got three right now. Meanwhile. Uh, St. Louis City SC could be playing right now if it weren't for the pandemic. And I asked Lutz about having that extra year to get ready. I think it's a blessing that we had that one year. And look, uh, having now this MLS next playing this year, who gives me an opportunity to bring already top European players over six months before we're playing the first game, where we can gel together as a unit, where they get to know the place, where they can put their kids to school, where they can settle down. That is a huge advantage because if I say to Bradley Connell in January, hey, here, I open you the door, there is 25 guys, let's do your job, I felt I would feel sorry for him. So <laughs> we have a big advantage. We have a lot of guys together before. Yeah, it is, a, it, is a, it is a big thing. I mean, you know, it's not easy to get players seven, eight months before they actually start the first game. So it's a lot of convincing to do. But I think it's a, it's a great advantage and we have to make use of that. And they have made use of it. And the way he answered the question was perfectly phrased. That He could have had 25 players and just given Bradley Carnell 25 guys. But now he has a chance, as you said, to curate a roster that is perfect for what he wants to build. Yeah, I I know it's a bummer for us as St. Louis sports fans because we want to see this team take shape as quickly as possible. (laughs) We're all really, really excited for it. But I don't think that the extra time is anything but a positive for the club because it's that much more time that you can think about your style of play. Even the, the thought process that he has about developing the product to fit the St. Louis sports fan. Think about the extra time he has to scout players and think about a style of play and find those players that fit the style of play and get them acclimated to what they want to do. And when you think about everybody that we don't even discuss that's behind the scenes, whether it's in the development of the stadium or thinking about ways to deploy things through the media. I mean, there's it. We, we consume it and we're excited by it, but we don't think about all the hard work that goes into developing these things and executing them. And even just the way the how great the app is and all the content mm-hmm. that they're doing there. The fact that they get an extra year to do all of that is great. And it's just, Randy, when you think about the momentum that has build, built for this, there's is a big crescendo. And that by the time we actually do get this thing off the ground, people are going to be so pumped. One thing we've seen in St. Louis is consistent winning from the Cardinals since 2000 really since 1996, but since 2000, they've been consistent winners. Since Doug Armstrong took over the Blues in 2009, they've been winners. And Atlanta United won in their second year. They won the MLS Cup in their second year. It can happen quickly in MLS. And I asked Lutz about what Atlanta did and if St. Louis would like to emulate that. Atlanta came in there with a clear mind. They want to win a title, but not looking at the long term. Uh Uh-huh. In the long term, maybe yes, but not looking at the foundation. Uh, so, this is not the way I think uh, uh, we want to we want to we want to do it. We want to first build that solid foundation, and if it takes us a little bit longer to win something, let it be it. You know, we will win some in the end of the day, but putting now the pressure on and say it needs to be in year two. No, I don't think this is for us the right approach. If it happens, it happens, but for us, it's important to work on it in the right way and not trying to literally waste a big amount of energy 
on something which is not sustainable over many years. That's what the Cardinals and Blues do. That's another Midwestern St. Louis value, isn't it? Consistent winning. Yep, and build a foundation. Do it through youth and development, and you can have a long run like the Cardinals and Blues have had. And I love that he doesn't want to put that pressure on themselves and compare what they're trying to build to what another team had success with out of the gate because it is going to be a different experience. I'm really excited about what the future holds for this franchise. And they, I believe they have the right guys in place in Lutz and in Bradley Carnell. And congratulations to uh, Carolyn Kendall Betts and the entire front office over there. They, they've got the right plan in place for that to be a successful franchise. You know, Randy, I've known you a long time. And I think when I first started producing for you, uh, you didn't like soccer. I think I remember writing a Randy rap for you where uh, mm-hmm. you talked about flopping and, you know, it was always kind well, of... Well, that still happens. I know, but you always would like you love to take a little bit of a jab here or there at the soccer product. To see you come full circle and be all on board with this has been such a thrill for me. I got to be honest. And I got to tell you, I am not as offended by flopping now when I hear about people that are just in their house and fall down their steps. Except that's a real fall. It's a that, thing. That's not a flop. <laughs> that is a real <laughs> Randy, over the weekend, I had some friends who came to visit me from out of town from Chicago. And uh, we had a little bit of a seance. We burned some sage and we asked the ghosts because I'm convinced a ghost pushed me down the stairs. Because <laughs> it's happened more than once. We asked the ghosts to vacate the property. Just get out of here. Do you think it worked? TBD. Okay, good. Well, I'm glad you did something. And they were like, we got, we've got to get them out we've got to figure something out so we went out we got some sage we had we googled what to say you and i know about the black magic it works right so yeah it does i I can't sustain one more fall it's a a lot less expensive than a runner or one of those little seats that get you up to the top (laughs) exactly or a life alert which is also expensive (laughs) coming up next danny mac on 101 espn we're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. The Cardinals wrap up their series with the Pirates this afternoon at Bush Stadium. Danny Mack will have the call on Ballet Sports, and he joins us now as he does every Monday with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Daniel, it's great to have you with us. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How about you guys? Good. How was your first weekend of regular season play and kind of being regular regular season play, probably for the first time since 2019? I was just going to say that. It felt normal again with the big crowds and being able to go down on the field and talk to players, talk to coaches, talk to managers, um, and and just a sense of, of normalcy. So that part of it has been great. Cardinals off to a good start, very good lineup, and uh, we'll see if it continues today if we get the ball game in. Dan, what are some of your early takeaways from this Cardinals team? Nolan Arenado is really good. <laughs> uh, really, really good. Yeah. I, I think this lineup has a chance to be special. Um, it's going to play out. You know, I think the DH thing is, is a state of flux with Albert, and today Lars Newbar is going to get the start. Corey Dickerson has been okay. Um, I, I think that's something that stands out. And the other thing is the bullpen. The bullpen is really good. I think it's got a chance to be 
exceptional, and they've been covering a lot of innings here thus far. That's not sustainable. And the other part is you're starting pitching. You're starting pitching outside of Wayno has got to pick it up. Now, it's only been two games, obviously. Matt's couple of innings yesterday was really good and then got knocked around. Miles struggled in the first inning on Saturday, uh, but kind of gutted through that start. But uh, we'll see if that settles in. But that's something to keep an eye on. And it's something we've talked about basically from the beginning of spring training. Dan, given the shortened spring training, a lot of these early games feel like it's still an extension of spring training since the guys didn't have the same sample size to get ready. How's that going to uh, shift the way that you determine how you feel about this team? Basically, we all kind of have that barometer of when we feel like we have a good sense of, of what a team is. What is that shift for you knowing that they had a shortened spring training? Well, I don't think we know until we get through probably the first month and a couple of turns through the rotation and see how guys uh, look, see how they're uh, pitching in terms of their effectiveness, how deep they can go into games. And then by the end of this month on May 1st, you go back to the 26-man roster and you're going to have to make some choices with your bullpen. But I think you have to wait until these guys get fully stretched out. And then at that point, you can make your assessment on, on where you think you're at with the pitching. I usually look at like the end of May. Um, I try to do it like that way and, and take it in thirds and, and then at that point evaluate or at least have an understanding of where you're at. And if you have players coming off the IL or there's somebody down in the minor leagues that's been tearing it up and you bring them up and somebody up here is not doing the job and then they go down or you release them or whatever the case may be. But it takes a little bit. And, uh, you know, I, I get it when – you're in talk radio like we all are. It's, it's kind of like, hey, what, what's the instant analysis? But I do think in baseball especially you have to take that thousand-yard view and, and really be patient. Um, it's hard to be that way. I, I'm not that way a lot of times with it. I'm like, hey, get this guy here and do this and do that. But you do have to be very, very patient because it's such a long season. Dan, Andrew Kisner gets the start in the Cardinals' fourth game this year. Would you anticipate that that'll probably be the division that every fourth game or so, at least at the end of the season, that Kisner will have played 25% of the games, or will it be even more than that? Haven't we been saying this for like five years, Randy? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, uh, that, you know, whoever the backup is is going to get X amount of games, and Yachty's going to play, you know, 115 to 120. I I don't know. I I don't know how it's going to play out. I I think, though, this year more than ever – I do feel that they're going to try to get Kisner some more time and keep Yachty off his feet uh, a little bit more. So I don't know what that number will wind up being. And if it winds up being the same number that it's been over the last handful of years, that wouldn't surprise me. And I'm not trying to avoid the question. I, I just don't know. I mean, I, I think you go along and feel it out as you as you uh, have the season play out and as the weather turns and it gets a little bit hotter. Um but, again, I, I think one of the challenges for Ollie will be with Albert, with Wayno, and with Yachty is trying to get them the just due for the fans, and ultimately you're trying to win games. And they give you a very good option to win a lot of times, um, but you're also trying to keep them fresh. So it's really kind of a touch-and-go situation, but to the main point of what you're saying, I, I would anticipate that Andrew plays a little bit more this year. And, by the way, last year – he started uh, 43, and Yachty started 118. So it essentially was a, yeah. a, a 3-to-1 ratio for Yachty over, over Kisner. By the way, you mentioned Ali Marmol. Is he back today? I'll find out when I go to the ballpark. I have not heard. Um, we were anticipating him being there yesterday. I, I would have to say that he is really sick. For him to miss mm-hmm. the second and third game of uh, of his managerial career, 
he's really not doing well. And Ollie's a tough guy. I mean, these guys aren't going to miss unless they're really sick. And it's non-COVID for people that didn't know that. I mean, they, they did test for COVID. It's non-COVID. So he's got the flu, and it must be really bad for him to be missing these games. But I talked to Skip yesterday down on the field, and they do anticipate him being back today. I bet you before COVID that he would have managed with the flu. But now, because you can infect an entire clubhouse, and we're so aware of the fact that you can infect an entire clubhouse, it's a different animal. 100%. I I was saying that off the air to somebody. I I said, you know, if this is 2019, Ollie's sitting on the edge of that seat, and if he's got to go to the bathroom, and for whatever reason... Whatever way it's coming out, um, you know, the, <laughs> he'll he'll take care of business and come right back and sit down and and make sure that he is uh, managing these games. But I, I would imagine, and I don't know this for sure, but I, I'm with you, Randy. I think that what they probably said is, hey, man, if you're not feeling great and if you're really sick, we don't need everybody else getting sick. And what we know about COVID and how this stuff spreads, even though it's non-COVID. But if you have the flu, uh, let's just get you home. Just just take care of yourself and then come on back and don't worry about it. But I'm 100% with you. I think that's probably the mindset that they had. Dan, we haven't spoken to you since opening day, which is always a holiday here in St. Louis. This one had a little bit extra juice, though. So can you take us behind the scenes and tell us what opening day was like for you? It was great. Uh, 16 Hall of Famers. I mentioned this on the game yesterday. I thought, and Jimmy pointed this out, being down on the field, Jim Edmonds, he, he thought the crowd was louder this year than than he remembers it even as a player at times and i agree with that i i think people made a concerted effort to be in their seats for the beginning of it and i i think they felt like hey i don't want to miss anything and so if i have a issue with my phone or my ticket and i can't get in there and i don't see the clydesdales or all these hall of famers and tory and big mac coming back which was great and some of the others that we always see uh, I'm going to be really disappointed, and obviously I want to see Wayno, Yachty, and and, uh, and Albert in their final opening day, potentially, at least for two of them. So I, I think that people made a concerted effort to be in their seats for opening day, and that added to the uh, the atmosphere and the, the pomp and circumstance of what we saw. I thought it was great. We are so appreciative, and I don't know that Michelle and I have had a bigger compliment than getting an adorable from you on the social media. It was unreal, Dan. Well, that picture was just adorable. It really was. You and Big Mac, you guys made it a point. You said, hey, I'm going to go out and get a selfie, and he wants a selfie with us, so absolutely adorable. (laughs) We appreciate it. Do you think we'll get this one in today? You know, I was looking at the radar. Uh, I'm not Dave Murray, but it doesn't look good. Um, Now, the question would be, and and here's where it, it in my time of doing games, it a lot of this comes down to where you're at in the season. So I, I think there's some factors here. Number one, it, it's supposed to clear up, I think, around like six or seven. So do you go to the Pirates and say, hey, do you want to hang around until six or seven and try to get this thing in? And we can try to make an announcement and tell people it's going to be essentially a night game. The problem that you have at this time of the year is that the Pirates have their home opener tomorrow. So that means that they're going to play, I think, at like 2 or 3 or 4 o'clock tomorrow. So that's something to consider. The other thing to consider is that you're already going to play some doubleheaders because you missed the first week of the season. Do you want to add another one in? Now, you are inside your division. That adds to this, too. So you're going to have the Pirates coming back here anyway. Now, if this was like the Mets or an interleague game, I I think you you have to wait it out. But because you're not playing, um, and this is just my guess, I I don't know, I mean, from past experience, but, you know, if if you're not playing inside your division, you're only going to see the team come through one time, you probably wait it out. 
knowing that it may clear up later tonight. And they may do that anyway because of the, the doubleheaders that you're going to have later in the season. Now, the other thing that may complicate this, too, is that the Cardinals and the Pirates will play the final, basically, week of the season against each other. So the Cardinals finish up with the Pirates at Bush Stadium, and I don't know when they're back in prior to that. And then you have to go to Pittsburgh to finish up the season to do the makeup games that you lost in the first week. So there's a lot of things that go into this. The other aspect of this, and just thinking from a baseball perspective, is that you do have 28 guys on the roster right now. So mm-hmm. you, you should be covered, you would think, to play um, this game and tomorrow and beyond. However, um, that kind of complicates things, too. So we'll see. I, 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 so to answer that question, I'm just trying to give a lot of variables of what they're thinking, potentially. Um, I just don't know. Dan, here's one thing I'm looking at. In June, the Pirates are back in on the 13th, 14th, and 15th. Both teams are off on the 16th, and both teams are also off on the 6th. So you wouldn't have too many games in a row. So maybe you're looking at a day game on the 16th, Thursday the 16th, and then the Pirates go home to take on the Giants and the Cardinals after that game. Let me get to uh, their game after the 16th. Either way, it, it could be a day game on the 16th, is my point, that, that that would fit and it wouldn't be playing too many games in a row. Yeah, I mean, that's the, the one thing, too, is that you have to get the Players Association involved with this yeah. in terms of how many games you play in a row. It's part of the collective uh, bargaining agreement to get those days off, and players relish those days off. So that's something to you know consider, and maybe they do a doubleheader um, with something like that, too, to keep the day off, which sometimes players are like, yeah, let's go ahead and do that, too. So... Um, the other aspect too is is if you're playing in June, you might get a bigger crowd. Right. So you got the you know you got the fans that would be in attendance already with a ticket, but it's another way to promote. Hey, if you want to come to the ballpark and you didn't have a ticket for today's game in June, kids are out of school. That's something to think about as well. Danny Mac, as you know, I'm a, I'm an idea guy. <laughs> so yes, sir. how about this? On the 15th, you already have Star Wars night scheduled, mm-hmm. 6:45 game. How about a day nighter? Star Trek Day, and then Star Wars Night. Whoa. You know, uh, I think you got to have William Shatner then come out and throw out a first pitch. You do. You know, you ever see the Saturday Night Live when he, he's at the uh, Star Trek convention? There's nothing like it. It's it's awesome. You, What's wrong you with you people? Have you, ever, you ever kissed a girl? <laughs> <laughs> have you ever gone out of your parents' basement? <laughs> it's one of my favorites. I'm, a, I'm like a Star Trek, Star Wars guy, so he was speaking right to my heart. It was good. <laughs> I love that. Hey, we can't wait to uh, watch you today as the Cardinals take on the Pirates in the finale of a four-game series. And the Royals are in town for a couple before a trip to Milwaukee. Danny Mac, thanks so much for the time, and thanks so much for the adorable. You got it, guys. I'll talk to you next Monday. All right. Love you. See you. You're the best. Thanks, buddy. Thanks. That is the great Dan McLaughlin on 101 ESPN. Yeah, have we peaked that we got an adorable on social media from Danny Mack? It's downhill from here, isn't it? It it really is. And uh, thanks to Mark McGuire for helping us secure the adorable, because I never thought it would happen for me personally. Available on the socials, Michelle Smallman, at M. Smallman, on both Twitter and on Insta. And I'm on Twitter, at Randy Carricker, and on Insta, at RJ Carricker. What's going on on your Insta lately? Anything good? Popping? Content? Today, it is like National Pet Day, so I believe... That there might be some posts from uh, Moose, the Good Boy, and the Golden Derby Shaw. I'll check it out. National Pet Day, also known as Every Day in the Life of Randy Carricker. Good point. Yeah, good point. That's right. Coming up next, you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carricker and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 
ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. That's right. It is time for... Randy, the Lakers had a 146-141 overtime victory at the Nuggets yesterday. It didn't matter. They were already eliminated from play in tournament contention on Tuesday. And that routes up a very disappointing 33-49 and season for your Los Angeles Lakers. Yes, Randy, I know you're a Lakers fan. And... After the game, there was a tweet from Adrian Wojnarowski, a Woj bomb, if you will, that Frank Vogel was out, that he had coached his final game for the organization. Now, in his post-game presser, Vogel was asked about this tweet, and he says, I haven't been told bleep, a word I can't say on the radio, and I'm going to enjoy tonight's game, celebrate what these young guys did in terms of scratching and clawing and getting back in this game and getting a win, and we'll deal with that tomorrow. So he was informed of his firing during the post-game. By by the media. By the media, not, not by the organization. Correct. Now he had signed an original three year deal in 2019 and had ex- and had received a one year ex- extension through 22 23 in the off season. But apparently, according to Woj, he's out. And Michelle, this is a bad team. Nobody, Phil Jackson couldn't have coached this team <laughs> to a playoff spot. Pops couldn't have. Mike Shashevsky couldn't have. And not only are they bad now. But they're going to be bad in the future. They're old. They're over the salary cap. They have the highest paid player in the league in Russell Westbrook. Yes, Russell Westbrook under contract next year for $47.1 million. They have no draft picks and they have $6.2 million to build beyond Westbrook, LeBron and Anthony Davis next year. $6.2 million under the cap. Sounds like a dream scenario for someone to take over, right? Any coach would want that. It's still the Lakers, and you're still a head coach in the NBA. And Woj said that the search for Vogel's replacement is expected to be, quote, expansive and lengthy without a clear-cut frontrunner. Now, how involved do you think LeBron will be in selecting the next head coach for the Lakers? After he built this team, and he built this team, if I'm the Lakers, I don't want him anywhere near the coaching search. And you know that he is looking down the road, wanting to play with his son some So he's not going to be the person that you're building around moving forward, even though he is LeBron James. But I'm with you. I would I would, of course, consult with him a little bit or at least speak with him because you don't want him to be mad. And then you have to deal with that in the media or when you bring in your new coach, getting him off to the wrong foot with the star of the team. But I certainly would not let what he wants influence my decision if I was making it. And Matthew Rocchio has your next coach of the Lakers. Who is it? I mean, I'm I'm rolling with the people who've been in the rumors. I think Quinn Snyder's. I think it's done in Utah. I think they're in that weird NBA thing where you're not good enough to win a championship, but you win a lot of regular season games. So you're not good enough to reset and get a new player who can take you to that next level. I think Quinn makes the jump. I think it's natural for him. Do you think he'd be Hollywood enough? I think Quinn's Hollywood. Yeah, he's already so been too. an assistant with the Lakers. He's got the hair going. Yeah, I was say, the, I was hair, say the flow. The hair. The flow. Yeah. Come on. And also, yeah. he, he also he had that weird look going when he was complaining about the Gobert and Mitchell thing, where he had it looked like he had like a flak jacket on. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think he's got like the Hollywood thing. It looked like he could have been an extra in a Fast and Furious movie. And what do the Lakers need? They need connectivity, and that's what he preaches: is connectivity. 
And Randy, there's there's really no commentary on this other than how tragic and sad it is. But Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback Dwayne Haskins died early on Saturday morning. He was actually struck by a dump truck while he was walking on a South Florida highway. He was pronounced dead at the scene. And Randy, Dwayne Haskins, only 24 years old. Just a very tragic situation. Yeah, and you can't imagine what his parents are going through, what his wife is going through. He was going to turn 25 next month. And we look at it from a football standpoint. He's a guy that never really had a chance because he only started 14 games in college. He went into that horrible situation in Washington and had an opportunity. Apparently he had a golden arm, just an unbelievably talented arm and just never was able to take advantage of the opportunity. I read a lot about him yesterday, about how hard he worked and what a prodigy he was in high school. His parents moved from New York to the D.C. area so that he could play better football and he wound up obviously being a first round choice and it's really, really sad for his family and everybody associated with uh, with Dwayne Haskins that he, he lost his life. And he was in South Florida working out yeah. with Mitchell Trubisky and Najee Harris and Pat Freermuth and a bunch of the other Steelers, young, talented position players. Yeah, and I'll always remember him too for that standout season 2018 at Ohio mm-hmm. State, just how electric and exciting he was to watch. But it's just another reminder, Randy, of how fragile life is and yep. how you need to tell the people that you love them, that you love them while you have the opportunity to do so. So, and I just couldn't believe the news when I saw it. It was such a, a tragedy, a young life taken far too soon. Yeah, totally tragic. Thanks, Michelle. You're welcome. Coming up next, we're going to head down the stretch with What's on Tap here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Stretch, Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Danny Mack and Jim Edmonds will have the call for the Cardinals and the Pirates this afternoon. And then tomorrow, Michelle, kind of a weird setup because the Cardinals are uh, going to play at night uh, and so are the the Blues. They're playing tomorrow night. And then on Wednesday, the Cardinals have another day game. So day game today for the Cardinals, hopefully, weather permitting, and then another day game on Wednesday. But we'll have the first Blues Cardinals need two TVs at the same time situation tomorrow night. And now I don't have the two TVs set up, so I have to have one game on the TV, one game going on the computer. Nothing wrong with that. But that's that's always a little annoying because I take notes while I watch the games. Uh And so it's like a smaller screen on the computer so that I can have a Word document up. So I really have to choose which game is going to get the prominent TV spot. Because I don't have the setup like you do. You have a great setup going in your basement. I that became necessary a few years ago, especially when the Rams were here. Oh, and yeah. I had like multiple football games to go at the Gotta same time. Gotta watch them lose. Right. Well, that was St. Louis Rams. Though. Well, and they, yeah, we were watching them lose. You're exactly right. <laughs> There's, that, that is 100% you were correct. Doing, you were doing stuff on the broadcast, so you had to watch them lose every right. week. I do want to touch on this because we, as fans, everybody that's tuned in, you and I and Matthew were all so reactionary. Isn't it amazing what we were saying about the Blues two weeks ago yes. compared to what we are thinking now? At least I'm thinking that they can do some things in the playoffs. The way they handled, they, they didn't handle Minnesota the other night. They beat them in overtime, but they played their game. And if they play Minnesota in the first round of the playoffs, the way Huso's playing at home, actually the way Ville's playing overall, I really like their chances in the first round. And then... If you get into that second round, and for example, 
you don't have to play Colorado. I really like their chance. And maybe Vegas knocks Colorado out. I I like their chances to do some damage in the playoffs. We are prisoners of the moment. We are a very reactionary society. But I think if you go back a few weeks, those were fair assessments. When the team itself is saying at the end of March, we still don't know what our identity is. We need Mm -hmm. to start playing a cohesive style of hockey. That's not un- unreasonable for us as fans to feel a certain type of way about the team when the comments coming out of the dressing room are, we don't know what we're doing right now. So David Perron was right that the the answers, the solution to what the Blues needed to do was already inside uh, the dressing room. And clearly they have found it because they are on a roll right now. And sometimes weird things happen in sports. And you don't always look at numbers. You shouldn't always look at numbers. The difference between that team and this team is Soropchenko. Is the energy that he brings to the game, the hitting, the size, the the speed, the the forechecking. He has provided an element that the Blues didn't have before he came back on the scene. And it's a lot like the element that Sunquist brought when he was here the first time before the injury that they didn't have before. I'm not saying that he's going to be an engine type that you can play on every line like you did Sunquist, but at least that ability on the fourth line that wasn't existent before is there now. Now, this is something that's been consistent throughout the season, but you know who I still think we don't give enough love to in this season is Justin Falk. He's been playing unbelievable all season long. He obviously had, had a great game over the weekend, but we mention it here and there, but we should really have been talking about it every single week, just what a great player he's been for the Blues this year. I believe that at the end of the season, if you're going to judge the Blues MVP from October through April, that Justin Falk should be their MVP. Over Mm -hmm. the course of an 82-game season, he's been the most consistent. He's been their best defenseman. He's been the minutes guy. He's actually not been expected to be that guy. He wasn't at the beginning of the season because they gave the contract to Pareko. Mm -hmm. I'm with you. I I would vote for him for team MVP. And when you think about his journey here and how he is in a good place right now, I'll never forget when he first came here, Randy, the team had just won the Stanley Cup. They had gone on the ride of their lives. He's the only new guy in the building. I remember one time we were over at Enterprise and the team had a skate and then they had a charity event over at Stiefel and the media, some of us got to go and walk over with them. And I remember the entire team was walking together and Justin Falk was kind of hanging behind them, kind of by himself looking down on his phone. You know, he was still the new guy. He didn't really know anybody. He was fresh there. They were all getting their Stanley Cup rings and celebrating and he was the guy on the side. And you, we always think about a player and we don't think about a person mm-hmm. and how if you're used to a certain environment and how you may be a leader or you may exert yourself on the ice, if you may pull back a little bit because you're the new guy on the team. And then the next year, we saw him take a step forward, but then we had the pandemic and everything kind of got uprooted. You know, there's just been a lot of things that he's had to deal with, whether it's shifting positions and then finally getting comfortable. I think this is probably the first real season since he's been here where he's been 100% comfortable and 100% in a role where he can thrive. And boy, is he. This is a completely uneducated viewpoint. But Hearing that, I would suggest that Doug Armstrong might have an idea as to what he's doing. He made that proactive move to go get the guy with the idea that Petro wouldn't be back. And Joel Edmondson, by the way, has just in the last week played his first game of the year. He's Joel. I would love to have Joel Edmondson on this team. But to give up Edmondson and Dominic Bach to get Justin Falk, your number one defenseman this year, pretty good trade. And, and you could guess that with the representation of Petro that he was going to go. And so he made the proactive move and it worked. And the thing about the Army moves is, 
again, we're reactionary in the immediacy of things. We're like, oh, I can't believe that Justin Falk is the answer. He's supposed to be the guy in case Petro leaves or this is supposed Mm -hmm. to be the replacement for Petro. Sometimes you need to let things develop. Sometimes you need to Aaron Rodgers, R-E-L-A-X, relax and and we'll judge it once we have a full sample size i feel really good about this defense that was an amazing stat that curbs had too that when krug is back the guy with the least experience in the nhl in terms of years will be colton pareko that's That's crazy amazing a great job today by our producer engineer the one the only matthew rocchio pleasure and Michelle will do this again tomorrow, I guess. It sounds great. I'll see you then. It'll be good. We've got a balloon party with Tim McKernan and Ajax coming up. <laughs> she <laughs> laughed. I, I made her laugh. Ajax. That's coming your you way. You and the nickname. For all of us, thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. Till tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. Hey, hon, what you doing with your phone? Do flowers have best friends? I don't know. Hey, look. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.